a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. It's time for the Zero Limits Podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high-charging humans with hectic stories from around the world. We'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go. All right, Zerilimus listeners, on today's Zerilimus podcast, I have a bloke that served uh, roughly 12 years in the Australian Army, uh, more specifically the infantry, the best part of the Army. <laughs> and uh, however, he, he spent most of his time in 2R and uh, 8 9, so that. That's a that's a that's a notch down. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> typical, uh, yep, bloody hell, mate. Um, his name's Simon Jones, and as I said, he spent twelve years in the Defence Force. During that time, Solomon's East Timor, uh, and two rotations on SOTG with uh, two commando as their mobility, I guess, sergeant, which we'll definitely touch on. And another crazy story. Obviously, this guy is really good friends with uh, a previous episode, Justin Huggett. And uh, Justin Huggett, MG, I should say. And as we yeah, all get it know, right, mate. Yeah. Use his correct term. <laughs> as we know, his story was just loose. Uh, how he not didn't get charged or thrown into prison is beyond me. But uh, you obviously, you were in the Australian, you know, back in Australia at that stage and got the back end of him, you know, showing his face on sunrise and yes. <laughs> stuff like that. Certainly mate. did, mate. Certainly got the other the other side of the story. It's quite, quite comical watching your, your mate go through that and go from one minute about to be charged and thrown in prison to being awarded an MG. Pretty funny. Absolutely. Well, but mate, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Very good. Thank, thanks for having me. No, appreciate it, mate. Appreciate you reaching out to start off with. And, uh, you know, we, we got chatting. We've been chatting for a couple of months now and obviously it's just lining up the time. You've been away on a on a boys' trip and you're out, you know, working and uh, setting up a bloody solar farm at the moment. Yeah, mate, I've um, been very busy. I'm fortunate enough to work for a, um, a developer who's in the renewable energy space at the moment. So, um, yeah, out on site, uh, just spent five hours west of Brizzy building, finish off a wind farm and a, and a solar farm. So, very busy times. Yeah, right, mate. bit different from the, the lands of Afghanistan. It certainly is. It certainly is. But I 
tell you what, there's some landowners that get cranky like um, yeah, they do, mate. Yeah, the lands of Afghanistan. They do. They're very passionate about their land out this way. Until you pay them a bit of money, then they uh, they, they quieten up a bit. Oh, they they certainly do, mate. Yeah, money money makes people go hush very quickly. I'll do whatever you need. I'll do whatever you need, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mate. Um, That's it. Before we crack on to your extensive career in the Defence Force, mate, let's get back to younger days. Back to the younger days, Simon Jones, uh, growing. Where'd you grow up? Uh, so, born in born in Gosford. Um, so I'm a New South Welshman, through and through. Proud. No bandwagon jumping, though I spent most of my time in Queensland. <laughs> Queensland. But I uh, grew up mainly on the Gold Coast, uh, so Burley Heads. So I'm a Burley boy, so very fortunate enough to grow up down there before I joined the Army. Yeah, in, in regards to growing up, mate, schooling, uh, siblings, et cetera? Yeah, had a had a good child, or good upbringing, actually. Mum and Dad gave us, you know, everything that we needed. Um, uh, I did my schooling on the Gold Coast. I went to Marymount College, Um you know, it's a private school and mum and dad worked their asses off to put me through school. But as soon as I got to um, – uh, so I joined the army at 17. So I was working at McDonald's uh, just there at, at Burley Heads and I was saving up enough money to catch the bus up to Brisbane to do my enlistment stuff and I didn't tell anyone. Well, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it until I actually got my acceptance letter and then I told mum and dad from there. So – and then – um yeah, up and joined the army. Since I was seventeen, mate, I was gone. Yeah, mate. Just back to the school side of things. Now you're nineteen eighty four, same as me. And schoolies, two thousand one. Were you there? Um, I did go a couple of nights because I've seen this chick. Shoulders again. That was me as mate, well. We, how we could have. <laughs> you probably would have snotted me too, mate. I did I get. I did. I ended up getting arrested. Actually, <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah. What did you do? Oh, I can't remember. I got into a blue and mum had to come pick me up from Southport, bloody. <laughs> Watch out. Ah, <laughs> uh, that old chestnut. Yeah. I got arrested in Townsville one time and they um, before they put me in the cell, they fire-hosed it. Oh, did they? Yeah, they fire-hosed it. So, and you had to sit on the ground, but I there was water don't. droplets coming from the roof. <laughs> was this while you are in the army? Yeah, yeah. We'll get on to that, mate. We'll get on to that. Now, back to uh, schooling, mate. How'd you go at school? As you know, as we know, and I've spoken about on previous podcasts, general theme for most of us guys that joined Defence Force or first responders, not the, I guess, some of us are, some of us are smart, some of us are quite stupid, some of us that end up joining the infantry, um, but you never apply yourself. Were you the type of one of those kids at school? No, I, I didn't like school one bit. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I've always felt like I never sort of fit in there. Um, you know, I'm not not a very um, uh, smart guy, so you know, I was more interested in surfing and playing rugby than than I was actually applying myself at school. But um, my older brother was in the army at the time. So my older brother's about four years older than me, and he was already in the army, and so that always just I was always just drawn to that straight away. And then um, it was either stay on the Gold Coast and just be a surf bum. Or go and actually do something decent, and uh, yeah, that's why I up and joined and quit school. Um, yeah, just couldn't handle being there. Didn't like the, yeah, just didn't like it. Where did that come from, though? Do you, do you have family history in the defence force? Um, yeah, my mother's side of the family they they served, um, and then it obviously skipped. Uh, her brother tried tried to go for, to enlist for Vietnam, but he had flat feet, so he wasn't allowed in, and then obviously. Um, my dad and his brothers and that, none of them joined. But then it got to 
um, my older brother, and he up and joined. He was an engineer. He was a separate three CEO. Um, and my little brother actually served as well. So um, my little brother and I were in Afghan together on our second trip. Oh, yeah, right. Um, he was with, he was in 8-9 at the time. I got him across to 8-9 um, and he deployed with the mentoring task force and then I was with obviously SOTG but um, got to see him a bit. Um, so us three all joined and, and served um, but you, you have to go back a fair bit for to find where our family served. And I think it was just... Um, I know there's always sort of just been a calling amongst the three of us, you know, um, to do something greater than yourself, really, like to go and serve. So that's why I up and, up and went. Yeah, mate. And did you have any concept of what you were going to do uh, joining Defence Force? You said you joined at 17. <laughs> to be honest with you, I had no fucking no idea, idea what yeah. to do. My brother was an engineer. Um, well, he was a sapper up at 3CER and – he used to come back on Chrissy leave and all that with all his mates and you'd see it and you'd sit around and you'd listen, talk stories and they're on the piss and, you know, I was obviously four years younger so couldn't go out with them. I was like, fuck, I want to do what they're doing. So when I originally um, joined up, I said I want to be an engineer, like I want to go to 3CR and um, the recruiter that I had was actually a grunt and he come back and he goes, oh, listen, engineers are full. The next thing on your list is to be an infantryman. I said, what, what the hell is that? And he goes, mate, best job in the army. You fucking do this, you do that, you do that. And I just went, sold. <laughs> well, I didn't do any. Well, mate, back, back then, like, you get on the internet, it was like, doot. Yeah. Like, to dial yeah. up the pictures. Like, yeah. It took ages to load up. So someone, someone, someone got on the phone and the fucking cuts out. And you're like, fuck, who's on the fucking phone? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the next thing on the list, so he said, was inventory. And I went, Oh, fuck it, might as well. You know, just looks like guns and blowing stuff up. But I'd n- before I joined the army, I'd never shot a gun or didn't know explosives were. I didn't know anything. Like, and next thing you know, you know, they said, "Yep, you're accepted. You'll get a letter in the next week to two weeks." And I just sort of sat there and I was like, oh, "What the hell's going on?" Then I just, all of a sudden, this letter turned up and said, "You've been accepted into the Royal Australian Infantry." Um, and then I went and showed mum, and mum hit the roof. <laughs> like, she's like, "What the fuck? When did you join the army?" I was like. Yeah, I've kind of been doing it for like the last year. <laughs> you know, I was at, I had to get the McCafferty's bus from oh, the Gold you? Coast to Brisbane. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, and yeah, drop you off at Central, the Central bus station there, and then yep. I had to walk across to the recruitment center, Roman Street. Um, yeah, um, so I, I didn't know, didn't know anything about it. Yeah, so may you do all the obviously the psychometric testing, all the medical, pass all that. Eventually get your enlistment date, which was uh, May 2002. You get yep. your photos done and then straight on the bus, mate, down to Kapuga, back down to Wagga. Yep. And um, tell you what, the the bloke I sat next to on the bus that day, um, still best mates with him today. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yep. And to be honest, so we had to fly from Brisbane to Sydney and then get the bus from Sydney out to Wagga. Yep. That was my first ever plane trip. Oh, was it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Shit. yeah, yeah. First time ever on a plane. Um, yeah, and the bloke I sat next to on the bus still mates with till this very day. We actually messaged him yesterday because we we were in nine between together up in Townsville, and um, we're planning a bit of a reunion this year. And he just wrote, the "Fuck's what's going on with this trip?" He goes, "I need to get on the piss with the boys." <laughs> so, um, yeah, 
It's crazy time. Yeah, mate. So obviously you get down to Kapuga. Was your older brother spitting you any stories? Like obviously he knows you've, you've enlisted, you're heading down to Kapuga. Is he spitting you any stories and how bad, you know, I'll just say how bad, but what Kapuga was uh, or the training establishments were like? Uh, yeah, he, he sort of he gave me a heads up, but his big thing was um, don't don't disgrace our name, you know, because <laughs> he'd gone through it and, you know, my, um, my older brother's one of those freaks that everything he touches he's just good at like a actually hate him yeah right. <laughs> everything he touches he's good at you know if he can dance and uh you know he's the triple threat there but um now nah, he just said you know keep your mouth shut um because i was known for having to you know to lip off a fair bit um he just said mate <laughs> do it yeah not much has changed um he just said to shut up do what you're told and do it to the best of your ability and he goes, all you need to do is just get through this and then you get to your next set of training. He goes, the training gets harder, but the the environment is more relaxed the further you go along. And he goes, and you cop it pretty hard when you get to the battalion. He goes, well, once again, you just shut your mouth, bite your bottom lip and get through it and prove yourself and you'll be right after that. How did you find Kapuka, mate, with that, you know, discipline side of things and all that bullshit they go through, you know, socks and smiles? Um, yeah, like I can remember getting off the bus and just, people just yelling and screaming and then um I can, one of the funny things is i can remember looking over what them trying to teach people how to march <laughs> and just people just couldn't just couldn't fathom it i remember just looking over just going what the fuck have i got myself into like we could potentially you know because they scream at you you're going to go to war and i'm looking over and these people can't even march properly <laughs> like no, we're fucked here. But, there um, was always that one square gator. Always <laughs> that one cunt that just yep. couldn't march. <laughs> just that's it. Just just couldn't fathom it. You know, just slam your left arm backwards when you when you step off, and they're just like square gating down the thing, and they're just getting yelled at even more and getting flustered. I'm just like, I just never wanted to be that person. That person, yeah, yeah. But I didn't also want to stand out. Not that I was ever. Exceptionally good at anything. I didn't want to stand out enough that you got drawn attention to, but I didn't want to be that bag of shit mm. where you got yelled at. Like I just wanted to sit in the middle, shut my mouth, do my work, get through it, and then just get ready for the next bit. Yeah, mate. In your platoon, as in, as in the section commanders, any infantry sackos? Yeah, there was uh, two, and they actually come back to two a bit later on. Um, not sure if they remember me, but I definitely remembered them. Um, yeah, one in particular had a bit he, – and, you know, he was looking back at the time. I thought he was a dick. But um, looking back, you can sort of see the way they they were or they acted the way they did because they knew that we were going to – off to an infantry battalion or off to Singo to do our um, IET. So they wanted us to be – you know, be ready for that and be the best that we could be ready for it. But, um, yeah, there was we had a couple and we had a transport douchebag um, – <laughs> Spinning wars. Um, yeah, mate. Just yeah. I just remember just, just looking looking back at him then. He's spinning wars and just thinking to myself, "Geez, you're a fuckwit." Like, <laughs> yeah. just thinking to myself, "You're an absolute spanker." Yeah. Um, Tell me again how you change that tire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I think transport gave me lots of lifts over time, but this particular bloke <laughs> yeah. was an absolute wank stain. I can't even remember his name anymore, to be honest with you, but. Um, I just remember looking at him, just going, "I just don't want to be that dude." Yeah, you know, like, and once once I sort of got into the swinger kapuka and sort of knew how to um, sort of play the game, um, I felt I got through it 
you know, reasonably reasonably well. Um, Singo was a big, big shock for me. That's it, mate. That so like how many infantry guys did you have in your platoon down at Kapuka? Um, I think there's about 12 of us, oh, 10 shit. or 12 from what I can remember. There decent, was, decent numbers. You know, they put a bus on for us to travel up from Wagga up to, yeah. to Singo. So, um, but, you know, to me that's where the, I think the first time I sort of sat there and went, you know, like that voiceover in, that, in the movie where it's like, it's at this point I immediately regretted my decision. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I had multiple yeah, one get, of those over the years. You know, because I did, um, I did Kapuka through winter, so I was getting to sing out the back end of winter. So Singo's cold on it mm. on a summer's day type thing. Um, but there's a few times there I sat there and just went, "What the fuck have I done?" I should have been a transporty. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gone and changed tyres with that spanker from Kapuka. <laughs> Mate, so you blokes, you know, a bunch of years, uh, a dozen or so, jump on the bus, head up to Sunny Singer, mate. Again, this, for the listeners that don't know, Kapuka's basically for everyone. Singo is uh, initial employment training, so it's uh, specifically infantry training at Singleton. So you get to Singo, mate, total different scenario. It's all infantry. There's no tyre changes there. It's straight into the thick of a hat, mate. Do you remember much of your time through there? Yeah, I do. So I was semi-shon platoon, um, and I remember the platoon sergeant Dougie Spencer, um, and the the corporals. And I remember getting off the bus, and we we actually didn't start for about three or four days. So we got there during the middle of the week, so we didn't start the course till the Monday. So we had that few days to sort of settle in, but they putting us through PT and all that, and it seemed to you know, you think you come out of Kapuka and think you're ten foot tall and bulletproof, and then you get to the next stage and you just you scum again in the bottom of the pond. And the the guys that were there, there was probably another twenty guys already there, and they'd been there for a couple of weeks waiting for us to join. So there was a full platoon. And I remember looking at these blokes going, "Fuck, what do they feed them? Like the monsters? They're doing push ups and chin ups, and they're running faster than everyone." And then um, just I just remember thinking, "What the fuck?" Like. How do we even play catch up here? But um, yeah, we integrated well with that um, bunch of guys, and a lot of us from that platoon half went to one area, half went to two. So, um, you know, we sort of just yeah, it was good. It was hard. I remember it being hard. I remember um, finishing it, just going fuck, like gone from surfing, checking the swell at Burley Heads to yeah. you know <laughs> doing a bait out of salt course type thing. You know, only like. 10 weeks earlier type thing. So, um, and back then it was a 10 week, 10, ten week course. Yeah. That time. Um, no, nah, what'd we do? No, nah, I think it was 12, 12 weeks. Um, yeah. Right. 12. So Kapuka was six and I think Singo was 12. I, I could be wrong, mate. Chopped I think I'm changed, trying yeah, to, it chopped yeah, changed trying to block that out. of <laughs> <laughs> Mate, your, but, sec, um, your secos, were they from any specific battalions? Um, yeah, they were from, there was a couple from one, um, another one from six aria, and I think there was one from two aria. I actually can't remember the names off the top of my head, which is a bit, a bit poor. But um, the reason I remember the platoon sergeant Dougie Spencer and um, just my grandfather passed away while I was at uh, Singer, and he lived well. Obviously, he was in um, Gosford, and he actually called me in and told me that my grandfather had passed away. And we, the platoon was on lockdown; we weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, he actually drove me to Gosford. Oh, did he? Um, yeah, he he smuggled me out in his car 
and drove me so I could go to my grandfather's funeral. Yeah. What a mad dog. Yeah, absolute legend, you know, and um Yeah, so I'll never forget his name. So yeah. yeah. And he, he I think he's still in Singo the last you know, I was I was mates with him on Facebook for a while there and he sort of dropped off, but he stayed in Singo, he was working in the mines there for a while. And I remember um every year around my grandfather's uh the anniversary of my grandfather passing, I always flick him a message and say, Thanks. Yeah. Fuck that's uh, wild. Yeah. Fuck, it doesn't take much to show a bit of compassion. No, but then you know, as soon as he got me back from the that was back the funeral, it. it was it was just back straight back into it, you know. And um, I'll always respect him for that, and I don't think I'll ever be able to thank him enough for yeah. that. So yeah, mate. So uh, you end up uh, choosing two RAR, one RAR is on the table as well. Where, where you know it comes up to you know last couple of weeks, get your kind of your preferences, or was it you stabbed? Um. So to be honest, they they come out to us and they said. Um, Everyone, because everyone was like, oh, yeah, we want to go to Brisbane. Brisbane's the spot to go. And they pretty much come out and they said, listen, the only way, only way you're ever going to get to Brisbane is if you're already from there and you've got family. And there was two guys that were married and had kids and they said, well, we're from Brisbane. They said, right, oh, you're going to six. They go, the rest of you are going to Townsville. I was like, mate, to be honest, I'd never heard of Townsville. Never heard of no it. Idea, so yeah. I fucking, I, I grabbed the Refidex because we didn't have, That's right. no one had phones then, <laughs> right? Grabbed the Refidex and I looked at it. I'm like, oh, no, that's Tamworth. I'm like, kept flipping the page over and then found Townsville. I'm like, holy fuck, like, where is this place? And the guy that I sat next to on the bus, he um, can't say his name because he's still like, he's still in, he's, he's in a unit down south there. But um, I said, where are you picking? And he goes, well, I've already got a mate at Tour Hour, so I'm just going to put Tour Hour. And I said, well, I know you and you know him, so at least I'll know two people. I'll go Tuara as well. And that's how I picked that was it. Tuara. That's it. Just because yeah. the bloke next to me, he was going, I didn't even know where Townsville was. <laughs> that's great. But fuck, back to that, just for the young young folk out there, the Refidex was a, a, a massive book that had a whole bunch of fucking pages and you had to go L2 to K7 to – there was no Tom Toms or <laughs> Apple iPhones. You had to yeah. memorise all these streets and take a right, take a left. Yep, there was no Siri saying, in three kilometres, you'll yeah. turn right. It was – and I remember getting off the plane and um, back then it was, you know, there was only two flights a week from Brizzy to Townsville. It was on the old Fokker 100. Oh, it was this it, old yeah. shitty, yeah, old plane that just rattled. And I remember just getting on this plane just thinking, is this fucking thing going to take off? But I remember when the the air hostesses opened up the door, I remember that heat wave yeah. coming through. It was like someone left the oven door open, you know, and that, it just punched you in the face. I just remember going – where the fuck am I? And I got out and they didn't even have, then you had to walk down the stairs and walk across uh, the runway. And I remember just standing there looking up and you just see like Mount Stewart and I'm like thinking to myself, well, we landed on Mars here. What the fuck <laughs> is this place? <laughs> so Yeah, right. Mate, so you, you jumped off the plane. You've hit, been hit by a wall of bloody heat. It's, like, it's almost like landing back in Afghanistan, mate, when you get off the off the hurricane and it's just fucking hot. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, just remember being so just hot and humid and that and that was another time where I thought, what the fuck have I done? Like, <laughs> you know, like where am I? What have I done here? And then, that, you know, there was a bus waiting for us and they took us, took us straight out to the battalion and – Coaches, remember the RP sergeant just ripping into us, like, and I'll never forget his name either. Um, 
but I just remember just sitting there and just sweating. <laughs> like, not because I, you know, done any physical activity, because you've gone from Singo, like a back end of a winter, yeah, to then Townsville, where you know it gets under twenty degrees and they think they're in winter up there. <laughs> you know, people putting jumpers on. I just remember just sitting there, just going, "Fucking, we got dropped at the the old guard room there at two R R with your bags and all that." And they're like, "You're staying in the old, you're staying in the lines, go, and you're having to carry your bags. Get off the fucking grass." <laughs> just, yeah, you know. So, um, with your crap hats on. Yeah, that's it. Yep, everyone yelling, "Fresh meat!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, mate. Do you remember that first? I guess first week of parading in the battalion. Yep. Yeah, I'll never forget it. Um, <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah, so we got we're told the next day to turn back up to BHQ and then we got assigned companies and um, about four or five of us, maybe it's more, um, but we all got sent to Charlie Company. Um, and then we just got sent straight up to Charlie and then we got split. They pretty much just lined us up and they went, you first three, seven, you next three, eight, you last lot, you're going to nine platoon. And I was I was just one of the last ones in the line, so we went to nine platoon, and um, I said, "There's your cage, just go over and meet platoon staff." And I, I remember get walking over there, and um, I didn't know you couldn't, but I walked straight into the cage, and one of oh, the senior no. digs, he got up, and he just walked straight over and just went, "Bop!" Just bopped me one oh, straight on the fucking nose. Yeah, the old oh, old Taddy, um, still still good mates with him today. Actually, you know, speak to him quite frequently. And he goes, "Who the fuck are you, Lid?" I went, "Oh." Private Jones, don't say that shit around here, fuck lid. Go and sit under the tree. <laughs> they had to take me blood nose and walk over and sit under the tree. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we just had to sit out there for a while and two you earned your stripes and then you can move into the cage. So, Fucking different times, isn't it? Oh, yeah, he bopped me too. He bopped me a good one. <laughs> yeah, so how many, how many blokes did you say went up to Townsville? Uh, I think that probably would have been about – 10, 11 of us. Yeah, there was, there was a whole heap of us. It was good because, and then because we were spread across the platoons, it was, um, oh, what's your platoon doing today? What's your platoon doing? And what's this? And yeah, that, that was back in the times where I remember going, when I first got up to two, the battalion was at full strength, you know, so there was a thousand blokes in the battalion type thing. Like, so all the companies were full, support companies were full. Um, even like at the time, Tour had like its own pipes and drum section type thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so it would have been the same one area. So the, the battalion was full and um, we were the first, because they did, um, so tour I did Interfit and they come back and then they went to Antayet and they just rotated back. So, you know, so they did Antayet and I think it was zero one or something in the zero two and the guys were all just getting back from leave when we turned up to the battalion. So we were like the first new guys that they'd seen in ages. Because it was a pretty tight-knit battalion. Um, you know, they'd just come back from ops. So, um, yeah, made for interesting times. Yeah, right. So what year, what year did you march in? So I got I got to 2RR of the September of 02, I think, September, October of 02. So we're coming. It was just cranking up for summer. The boys are just getting back from um, leave. And some of the senior guys were still on leave. You know, they just had enough leave. They rolled through um, into December. And then- yeah, mate. Just take it back to September 11, 2001 now. Again, a, a pinnacle 
uh, I shouldn't say pinnacle, uh, a defining moment in pretty much anyone's career because obviously you end up in Afghanistan down the track, mate. Did you understand anything that was going on during that time for 9-11? Did you have any thoughts about where the Australian Army was going to go? So I, I remember where I was and what I was doing. Well, I watched the second plane fly into the building. Um, I knew something obviously big had happened, but I didn't at the time, looking back, I didn't fully understand the magnitude of what that moment meant. Um, not only what it was going to mean in my life, but, um, you know, my family and all that down the track. Um, I remember sitting there going, fuck, it's on here. Like it's something big's going to go down. Um, you know, by that stage, I'd, I'd already made the decision I was going to join the army. So it's in my head, it strengthened my decision to join, but I didn't fully understand the ramifications of what was going to happen, how much it was going to change my life, you know, 10 years down the track type thing. That's wild, isn't it? Yeah. It's, and you probably didn't even know where Afghanistan was. You, know, you didn't even know where Townsville was. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly right, mate. And there you go. And that it just that just goes to show what, um, you know, how young and naive I was to yeah. what was going on in the world. I can remember being – younger like the first goal for and I can remember reading stuff in the newspaper and you know them talking about the fighter jets and all that and always really interested in it but I never ever thought that you know I was actually going to play a role you know a very small role you know, like in that global war on terror and um even like like my whole family pretty much my little brother was there you know I got to present my my little brother his his Afghan campaign medal and stuff like yeah, that nice. yeah on ops in 2012 you know just that and, um, you know, what we did and who I got to be around during that time, all because of that event, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, mate, you march in, as you said, September 2002-ish. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And not long after, obviously, the Australian Army is already in uh, Timor doing their thing. Yes. However, the Solomon Islands – Flares up a little bit, and they need obviously a deployment over there. So, two thousand three, you get a deployment to Solis. This is your first deployment. Um, Nineteen too. Nineteen. This to take you from a lid to you know somewhat of a senior senior lid. <laughs> yeah, senior lid. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's a whole bit of like of a story around that because um, the first or well, the CEO at the time was now the chief of the defence force. So, is he? Yeah, old old Wokai. Um, Wokai was the CEO of two <laughs> when we got up there, yeah. but um, he was on his way out, so good riddance to him. But um, 2003, also SETDEP was kicking off. So Iraq was on um, the early stages of um, Afghan would kick it off, but that was mainly SF element. Um, but so I was in Charlie Company and we heard whispers that SETDEP was kicking off and the CEO got us all together, the OC, no, the CO got us together. The battalion said, we've got to send a platoon on SECDET. Um, the way we're going to decide what platoon is, we're just going to have a platoon competition. And it's going to be three days of he's going to do everything. It's a platoon, platoon attack, nav, stomp, everything. And we went, I remember just getting together as a platoon and um, you know, we had Hugger. Hugger was like a, a land shack at the time um, and we had some really good, junior NCOs and the platoon sergeant at the time um, was, you know, they were just phenomenal, you know, done their time in support company to come back on promotion. They just said, 
we're going to win this. We're going to win it, and we're going to we're going to dissect it. And the whole platoon just got on board, like we like whatever it takes. And we actually we did the platoon comp and we won it. And it got announced at the battalion boozer that Nine Platoon Charlie Company was the champion platoon of the company uh, of the battalion, and we were going to sect it. And we were like, "You fucking beauty, we're going to sect it. We're going to Iraq." Um, it just so happened that then it fell for the Ready Company group, and it was Charlie Company's time. So we were on there. Not only we started to do a little bit for set death, but we were doing like the company lead up. And then um, I went to pull the rug, <laughs> rode my push bike to work on a Wednesday morning, and that Wednesday night I was in the Solomon Islands. <laughs> we got reacted, <laughs> got sent to the fucking Solomon Islands. Yeah, and the platoon that came second took set death. Did that? Oh no! Yeah. That's the defense force at its best. Yep, that's it. So, um, because the whole company group <laughs> got reacted, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that that was looking back there. Like we we were gutted that we didn't get to go to sector, but yeah, you know, be careful what you wish for, type thing. Um, I think looking back, I, I needed that that Solomon's trip because it showed me what operations were like. Exactly. It's a nice got, little stepping stone. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and I got to learn off some really good junior NCOs and senior diggers that had done uh, Interfet, Untayet. So they, they sort of knew and we got into the groove um, of the deployment pretty quickly. Um, yet the last couple of months were boring as bad hell or bad shit, um, as you know what deployments can be like. But um, I think I really, looking back, I think I really needed that. It was a, it was a good stepping stone in my career. And then... The next year we were on the piss in Hawaii. Anyway, so we got Charlie Company got um, we got sent to Rimpack in Hawaii. So yeah, fuck. Just back to the Solis trip, man. How long was that? Uh, I think we were there about five months. Five months. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. So you get a bit of, obviously a bit of deployment pay. You get back to uh, Townsville, mate. Cashed up, young did dig. What What did you do? Went fucking what crazy. <laughs> just, just fucking. Just yeah, mate. Just. <laughs> I think I pissed it all against the wall, to be honest with you. Um, oh, I'll probably got a tattoo 30, on my arm. 30 grand? What's that? 30 grand, 40, 30, 40 grand? Yeah, yeah easy. Yeah. I think I, <laughs> I think I actually come back from leave with negative $50 in my bank account. <laughs> I was driving back into Townsville on fumes in the car. Had <laughs> no money. That's wild. Um, but had a good fucking time though. Um, you know, you can look at it one, two ways really that, Fucking idiot, stupid! You just blew that money, but I tell you what, memories. Yeah, exactly. I, then I wouldn't have any good stories. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would. I wouldn't have changed it for a, a thing. Looking back on it, had a good time. Um, pretty much the whole return, we we went on leave together. I remember being just going straight back to the Gold Coast, and you know, I got photos of pretty much the whole return at my dad's house, um, sitting in the pool just on the drink, and we'd go out of the night time, and then yeah, even like. There's a photo of me and Huggo. We we got on the piss one night and we decided we had a brainstorm that we'd go to Dreamwell the next day. And we were actually like after we were the we went on the ride the claw and there's a photo of us in the right, gardens. Yeah, yeah spewing that dream. Because <laughs> we were so hungover. Um Yeah, but we did we did everything as paternity back then. Like because no one had mobile phones, no one had anything. You still had to sign out from the company. That's it. Yeah. You had to yeah. go over and you had to like Right, who's, whose house are we going to? Do they have a landline? You have to put down, you know, zero seven four seven. You had to write the number down <laughs> so that if your company yeah. got reacted or you need to be recalled, um, they could ring that landline 
Yeah. And pretty much the whole platoon was there. And um, yeah, it wasn't until after when was Hawaii 04 that we all started to get mobile phones and then we could be tracked a little bit easier. Yeah. So, so just back to Solis, mate, what was happening for Solis to kick off? Um, it's more like a just another police coup type thing. We just went over there as like sort of like a peacekeeping. We landed in Honiara and patrolled out to um, the Guadalcanal Beach Resort and we just secured that. And then we just did like, like localised patrolling, just supporting the, the police force and the Australian Federal Police were there as well. So I was, um, did a lot of stuff just helping them out and like a QRS for them. Um, and then, then we were pushed out onto the patrol boats and then we were pushed out into like the other islands. Um, yeah, we went, we went as a platoon to this little town called, this little village called Membanakura. We got, we got flown there in the old um, caribous. And I remember coming in and the, the plane's like sideways and you look out, I was looking out my window and seeing the runway and all of a sudden it just drops down. You know, there's guys like spewing in their helmets and all that. But um, they, they hadn't seen white people in, well, since the Second World War type thing, you know, because Guadalcanal was like a great, well, there's a massive battle there. You know, that's, the Americans yeah, lost and won the airfield a number of times. Um, so there's a lot of history there. Um, yeah, we stayed there yeah, for probably five months and then um, redeployed back home. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So as you said, following you, mate, back to – obviously you're back to Townsville, blow your money, and then uh, you get get a nice little holiday trip rim pack. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Sorry. And because <laughs> it was still, still only 19 or just about to turn 20, um, you have to be 21 to drink. In the US, yeah. In the US. So we um we went and got um fake, fake IDs. IDs. Yeah. Because <laughs> remember back then it was the license where you remember you could peel it back. Yeah, the, the Queensland, Queensland driver's good, license yeah. was a lemonade one. Yeah. You could peel it back. In the middle. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah. So um we we had some help from some people within the battalion to help us um <laughs> change our IDs so we could go out on the drink. Um yeah, once again like the the whole company deployed. Um, we had support company attachments, um, and that was another great trip. Like, not only to teach me how to drink, um, <laughs> just brought us closer together. A whole company in Hawaii. Yeah, Hectic. that's wild. And I'll tell that's you what, wild. and some loose units too. I tell you, yeah. there were some blokes that I knew that enjoyed a good time, but then there was blokes that just <laughs> they were next level, mate. Like I was, I was just, playing reserve grade. It. Yeah, like, they ramp it. Oh, mate. I, I thought I could drink and have a good time. But when I saw these blokes, they were like playing state of origin and I was playing parked footy in towns or somewhere. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the difference. We actually, the first night when we landed in Hawaii, the OC, uh, he goes, no one's to go out drinking. We got, let's, let's get the lay of the land. We'll regroup tomorrow and all that. And pretty much, I remember coming out of the showers and walking down going, fuck, it's quiet in here. Because like, the whole platoon was in one building, like nine platoon was at the top, and I'm going, fuck, it's quiet. And we're like, let's just go for a walk. Let's see what's going on. And we get up to the boozer because there's like in America, that'd be OR's boozer, sergeant's boozer, and the mm. officer's boozer. And the OR's boozer was just cranked. It was going off, and it was the whole company was there. Even the OC was in there drinking. <laughs> we're like, fuck this. Anyway, and after about 20 minutes, they cut us off from glass. We weren't allowed to use glass anymore. They just gave us plastic cups. Because one bloke, 
um, very good friend of mine, the Macedonian Wog, he decided he wanted to clear our table just by his arm and just clear all the glass tape, glasses off it and they just smash the ground and they're like, you goddamn Aussies, you're not allowed to have glass anymore. So <laughs> yeah, one hour into a, a month-long trip over there, we were already on plastic. <laughs> Actually had to call the MPs to kick us out. Yeah, right. Mate, what is what is this uh, Hawaii trip? Run us through this for people that don't know. So we were the, we did an exchange. So with the Marine Corps, they sent a company to Australia and we sent a company over there and we integrated into their infantry battalion and we conducted exercise impacts. So we were um, based on a helicopter assault ship, um, the USS Tarawa, so the big T, um, and then we formed part of a battle group that went and just did Still chasing those Missourians, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Either they even made their way over to Hawaii. Um, mate, I think we were over there for about six weeks, and we did about two weeks worth of work. The rest of the time was just boozing. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, tourist tourist life. Yeah, we're yeah fucking out of control. Like we've got shout that- out to the taxpayer. Oh, mate, <laughs> like fuck. getting paid for it. It's been over there twenty with your best mates. The best mates. Yeah, like you know what it's like. You know how close you get with guys from the battalion, and um, you know one one guy in particular. You know, we I was best man at his wedding. You know, like we've been by each other's sides for our whole life, and um, we were just in a wide together. We we're just living the dream, like so much so that on Sunday nights we had to be back at midnight. All right, I remember being in this nightclub, and they had like monkeys behind the bar. It was like this. They were like fish tanks, but they had no water or anything, but they had monkeys and these monkeys could live in it. And got to about 11 or something and Hugo and that goes, come on, we've got to go. We've got to get back to the base. I'm like, fuck off, Hugo. They tell us what to do. We're going to do our own thing. He's like, righto. He goes, I'm leaving you. And it was me and Jarbo and um, we're as thick as thieves. We're like we're both pests and we thought, fuck it, we're having a good time here. We're staying, right? And we got on the piss till about three in the morning and we're like, fuck, we better get back. And the only way we could get back to Kanawi Bay, which is about 45, 50 minutes from Waikiki back to Kanawi Bay, the Marine Corps base, was a limo. So we thought we paid for this limo anyway, just munted. And we got that drunk. We thought that if we wind our watches back to 11.58, <laughs> when we go into the guard room, <laughs> right, when we go into the guard room, we'd get away with it. And we were that convinced. And over there, the guard carries like shotguns. Yeah. And MP5. They're aren't. Yeah. That's how yeah. cocky we were and that drunk. And we just stroll in. We're like, and this American guy, he was an LT. He goes, Where the fuck are you guys been? We're like, Out. Where do you think we've been? Like, start. We're real cocky. And he goes, Guys, he's meant to be back at midnight. We're like, Yeah, it's 11.58. And he's like, What time is it? We're like, 11.58. Look at our watches. And he goes, It's 3.30, you fucking dickheads. <laughs> We thought just because we could change our watches back, we could get away with it. <laughs> and he dobbed us in. You know, and we lost it like a, a weekend. We had to stay on base. But even over there, the bowling alley serves alcohol. So we just went to the, oh, we're just going 10-pin bowling and just got shit-faced. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, Fuck. Yeah. That's, dumb, dumb digs, mate. Oh, just mate. wanting back the time. That's wicked. <laughs> <laughs> we just thought we could do it on our watches. That's, yeah. Uh, but, um. Yeah, it's good times. <laughs> Absolute classic, mate. Um, <laughs> fuck. Oh, yeah. I've got plenty of stories <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, we can sit and talk for hours about those ones. <laughs> but, you know, and that, things like that, yeah, definitely. 
they shaped who I was who who I was to become further on down the track. Because if I didn't mm. have you know that experience, you know, even when I became a turn sergeant, you know, diggers would pull stuff, and I just I'd oh, look yeah. at them just go, guys, yeah. yeah, you need to be smarter at this. I know. Just because your watch is wound back doesn't mean mine has. <laughs> like, I'm like, come on, fellas, I've been in this position. If you can give me a better excuses to why you're late, we might let this slide. <laughs> type yeah. Thing. But, um, yeah. Fuck, but, mate, I got in trouble one time and I fronted up the CSM, mate, and he or he didn't say a single fucking word, but he just smirked and then sent us into the OC. And, I'm like, and obviously and I'm looking back now, looking at you know what he was thinking in his mind. He was just thinking, can't, I've done worse. Yeah. <laughs> that was nothing. <laughs> it was awesome, but that was nothing. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that. So obviously we got back from Hawaii and then so that was four. And then what did I do? I was down at Singo. Do, no, I might have been later on. But anyway, I went down for a trip to Singo and I was instructing. I was instructing on a basic heavy weapons course. And there's this bunch of mad dudes from 6RR and Last night of the course, so I've been away for about eight weeks. Went out on the piss, just got fucked up. Anyway, we come back to the lines and just kicked on. But the building across from us were like, fuck it, we ran out of piss. We're like, fuck it, let's go see if they've got some alcohol. Just fucking broke in their door, opened up their fridge, they had pizza, I'm mean, just eating pizza. And one of the fucking cunts left their bedroom door unlocked. So we've gone in, opened up the bedroom door, got his trunk, we flipped it over, put throwing foot powder everywhere, throwing like spraying beers and all that. Anyway, fucking, I remember just stumbling out, yeah, I'm fucked, went to bed because the next morning all we had was the students got their certificates and we all went home, right? And I remember just getting there, it's just like so hungover, sitting in the back of the lecture room in this RSM, the School of Inf, and the CO walk in, they go, righto, last night we had an incident, um, the fire alarm was pulled and um, some people have gone in and abused um, trainees um, from what's the platoon down there when you're broken and they get the yeah, discharger? I don't know, yeah. Whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, Linger platoon. Yeah. <laughs> Linger platoon. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I remember sitting there, sitting up in the back of the lecture room going, oh, oh, there's some fucking dudes in so much trouble. They've gone in and they've fucking bashed these dudes from Linger platoon, eaten their pizza, stole their drink, and on the way out they flicked the fire alarm. I remember sitting there just going, oh, they're in so much trouble. So glad I'm out of here in about two hours. And the RSM goes, if you're involved, we're going to have a break. If you're involved, we'd like you to come forward. I remember sitting there just going, oh, fuck, those dudes are in so much trouble. And we went out. I remember getting drinking water and this bloke came up. He goes, hey, you ready to head over? I go, head over for what? He goes, dude, that was us. Oh, no. We flicked the fire alarm and we trashed the Linger's room. And I was like, we did fucking what? He goes, yeah, dude. He goes, you were actually like swinging from the ceiling. Like I had the ceiling fan. I was like, <laughs> in, this, in this cunt's room, man. And he goes, that was you, dude. And I was like, oh, fuck. I'm in more shit than the early explorers here. Anyway, those boys, because they were on course, so they were just diggers, right? They went up and they got sent to the platoon sergeant and I went up to the, the course sergeant and I said, oh, he was like a good mate of mine. Um, I said, mate, I was, I was there when it all happened. He goes, oh, so you're a witness state? And I said, uh, nah, I was actually there. Like, He's like, fuck straight to the RSM and got in the RSM's office and he was just fucking in my face. You fucking piece of shit. You fucking bit. We set the stand and all that. And I just stood there and I just didn't flinch. I was looking at him. He goes, you don't even seem phased by this, Corporal Jones. I said, sir, I've been away for eight weeks. I've now got to go out and ring my wife and tell her I'm not coming back because I've got to face the MPs because I got on the drink 
And he looked at me and he started laughing. He goes, good luck. <laughs> Never yelled at me after that. Never yelled anything. He just came in. He goes, he goes, come and see me after the phone call. I walked in. And obviously I was upset, you know, I'd let a few people down. I walked in. He goes, fuck you. All right, mate. I went, yeah, let's just say my, my wife's not happy. He goes, sit down. Let's have a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never yelled at me again after that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he goes, no matter what, no matter what I do to you, he goes, it's not going to be nearly as bad as what your wife's going to do to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, mate. So yeah, mate. Um, two thousand six, Timor has kicked off again, as we know. Two thousand six, it got ramped up, and mate, multiple Danes end up going to Timor that year. Mate, run us through this trip, second trip. You know, second actual operational deployment. It was, um, was it? another one where we were the Ready Company group, and we got reacted yep. for it. So we were, um, it was Charlie Company once again, um, and we were doing whispers with something was going on. We knew something was going on in Timor, and there was whispers going around the battalion that we could potentially go. But you sort of started to get the feeling that we were going to go because you're going to the range every day. You were shooting, you're zeroing, you're doing nads. There was um, rules of engagement training had legal officers around and then all of a sudden you used to work and they said right we've been been given the go we're we're going ahead so hand your phones in get your gear get on the trucks straight out to townsville that's a raft based garbage there and then got some more briefings got bombed up and yeah we took off and landed in um landed near dilly um it was night time by the time we come in i remember looking out the side of the herc and it's just there's just like fires everywhere, and we landed at the um at the, the runway there, the strip, and we got off and we secured that. Obviously, that got handed over to us by there was already elements on the ground, um, and the platoon got put out, and we um yeah secured that, and then uh, the next day we sort of stepped off and uh, we moved out from there, started patrol doing patrols and all that kind of stuff. So, How long was that uh, team or trip? That was six months. That one. Six months yeah. fine. And what was the main purpose? Just uh, stability? Yeah. Um, the place just turned to a shit hole. Obviously, the um, the cops couldn't control anything. There was that shootout where a heap of cops got ambushed and got killed. And um, we started to see uh, federal police sort of starting to come in. Um, and then we – so we got it to a point where it was safe enough for the federal police to come over. And then we started doing joint patrols with them. And then we stepped back. And then they were just soft cocks and let it turn to shit. Then we had to go back in and <laughs> did, mate. Fuck. And they even did it the second time as well. <laughs> Excuse me. But, um, yeah, it was just just enforcing the rule, really. Um, and once I went over, it was – so, yeah, I was, I was probably like a senior digger sort of lanch that sort of role going over on that one. That was a, like another big – stepping stone as well because even just from the Solomon Islands that first Timor trip just the escalation in what was happening there you get like Molotov cocktail and mm. these crafty little buggers using slingshots like crew serve slingshots with like Bessel blocks and they're firing them yeah. <laughs> you know it's so good you know you're like you crafty motherfuckers that's good I like that and you know they had like their um like a spear gun you know you pull the, yeah. the rubbers back type thing that, that stuff like that and um, made guns as well. Yeah, yeah. How dodgy, um, how dodgy. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, oh, bon dia. Um, <laughs> bon dia, senor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
No, it was, yeah, that was, um, you know, it was good because you got to step through the whole, well, the company got recalled. We got, and we did the full thing and then on to operation. So it was, it was good to, to do that whole thing. It was like a whole other experience as well. And then, um, yeah, we had no see that just, yeah, he just worked us to the bone. Like there were, he was, he finished one patrol. Debrief, go again, and just straight back out. Yeah, straight back out. Just got slammed. Um, yeah, then we come back from that one. We were there about six months. Yeah, we come back. We had time off, and then pretty much as soon as we got to back to the battalion, they go the battalion's rotating back to Timor, and that's why we went back again in zero seven. And what did you do with your cash after this, this uh, second trip? So, so by that stage, I, I was um, I'd been with a chick for a while, and we we'd had a um, a baby together, who now my, my daughter's actually eighteen now. I have an eighteen year old. Oh, shit. Yeah, man, crazy. Um, especially when you sit there and yeah, you know, she orders a cocktail and you're like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like, first of all, you're like, are you paying for that? It's <laughs> like yeah. twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm still drinking four <laughs> X gold. <laughs> um. So yeah, my daughter was born, um, 2005. So, and that added a whole another dimension too, because you know that Solomon's trip and Hawaii trip. It was just about like me, you know, on the piss with the boys or you know, on deployment, living the dream. Uh, Mrs. is back home and she was doing her thing as well, like working and had her group of friends and then all of a sudden have a, a baby. Um, I was quite young, so, you know, 21 type thing. But, um, yeah, that added a whole other dimension to it. Um, you also had like someone – you had like a whole nother life form at home depending <laughs> a, on you. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't yeah. just, you know, not to say that I sort of calmed down a bit, but um, yeah. You had to be you wise. Had, yeah, be you wise. had to stop yeah. and think, fuck, do I really need to be taking these additional risks <laughs> yeah. type thing? Do knows. I really need to hang off that ceiling fan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah exactly. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that ad, that that trip was – Definitely a first of where you're like, holy fuck! I've I've got a family now. I've, you know, there's a lot more to it than just chasing cash and gongs and having a good time with your mates. Yeah, so you come back, mate. You blew some money, but yeah, uh, you've obviously you put some in the right places where it needed to go. Yeah, which is yeah, a good thing. yeah, definitely. Um, yep, definitely. Um, yeah, put some away, save some. Of it. it went on a good holiday as well. You know, it was a lot more smarter with it this time around yeah and as you said mate you're back up uh, you're back to the battalion and then 2007 Timor settled down for a little bit you know the, mm-hmm. the Aussie army took control a bit and then 2007 the presidential elections kicked off so that's when it uh, went to shit again yeah. so you, as we know in Timor they got the, the two uh, two factions or two government sides and then you've got all these little gangs on the outside and remember, it, you know, remember the Sacred crazy. Heart gang? That's like, Sacred Heart and Well the seven sevens, know. whatever like get a tougher name yeah, you seven, fucking seven, losers. Seven 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 <laughs> <laughs> It was wild. It oh. was wild and, and it's funny because you know those gang leaders were part of the governments as well. Which yeah. is crazy. So it was absolutely wild time. As I said, team team all kicked off again. Um and then, yeah, multiple deployments from different battalions. Uh, you know, that's when I went there as well. So, yeah. mate, run us through this this one, the second time occurring. So we Timor. went back. We're a bit of a bastard version of Delta Company 
Um, so we went across Delta Company. Some guys went across and filled out support company. But we were we went back in the October, but we were under CO from 3RR. So we went back in the October and um, we were at just out past the airport. There was that bus station. Oh, the big bus in the chain. So that's where we had yeah. that other, whatever that's that was. That's where called. I stayed. Yeah. That, yeah. So we went, yeah. we got sent straight there as the company. Um, yeah. And it quite, it did quieten down. If, when we got there, it quietened down quite a lot, obviously. Um, we took over from 6RR, um, which is funny because you, you walk in and you're high fiving guys that you knew you've known around from the battalion or the regiment now for a number of years. And I actually live a couple of houses down from, you know, one of the Buckholtz brothers. Ryan, I remember high five at him. We did a handover to him there in Timor, and um, yeah, everything was going pretty smoothly until those elections kicked off, and then it just fucking fuck it, it ramped up. And I went over. I was actually a lance jack, and just before we left, the full something something happened in my full track. He either got promoted or moved, so I stepped up and I was the section commander. So I'd gone from being a lance jack most of the year, sort of just. I'd just been promoted, sort of just getting in the groove of it. And they're like, oh, we're not going to give you a full track. You're just going to step up and you're, you're going to run the section. So I was like, oh, fuck, um, which was like another big sort of jump as well. But um, sort of lucky that the first month to two months, it was, you know, you could really get in that groove. There wasn't much happening. So you could get the feel of it, what it was like to be section commander on operations and um, all that kind of stuff. And um, I was pretty lucky that I had some really good mates that I'd, actually did um, sort of got to the battalion at the same time and that, they were now in my section. And remember um, one day we were driving from that base that we had. We, we had to go into um, where all the Blackhawks and all that were. What is it, the H-Pod? H-Pod, yeah. Yeah, we're going in there and um, we had to go in and pick up a vehicle. So we were QRF. We were the company QRFs. So we had an, a Land Cruiser Troopy. So I was in that and I had a um, – transport drive and then we had a, a um, six B that was driven by uh, the guy I had stepping in as a land shack so I had the section split across the two cars I remember we were coming into the roundabout there you turn you turn left and you go up to the airport remember there was that big IDP camp there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. these little motherfuckers decided that this day was the day they were going to kick off right <laughs> as we come <laughs> as we come around the roundabout they were fucking like using this crew serve slingshot that had like chunks of Bessa block in it <laughs> And they're like, like that. And you can hear it hit inside of the car. I was like, pow, pow. all of a sudden, one hit the windscreen, straight through the windscreen, and hit the, got the driver in the face. And he's sitting there and he's like, spitting blood out. He's like, oh, man, man. <laughs> like that. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And you could just see all these rocks and shit. And I just said, section like, got us all out. And I said, um, everyone go to action. Because at that stage in Timor, you just kick around the load because the, the yeah. threat level was nothing. So I gave the order to go to action. And anyway, as we started um, moving up to push them back into the IDP camp, we started to get arrows fired at us. You know, they use like in the, um, yeah. like a, when you go spear fishing like that, and then they had like the little wooden handguns with the rubbers and you click it back. Yeah, yeah, They'll find yeah. like these darts and there's actually darts in the side of the car. Anyway, we got to a certain point and we moved up and I was radioing back to, um, back to company headquarters and um, the OC goes, Whereabouts are you? And I said, we're here on this line and gave like grid reference and all that. And he goes, I need you to move back to the road, like get back to the road and then that's where we're going to draw our line. So, yeah, so I left, I remember leaving one section of three guys up, so 
Um, as I moved back, they were covering our withdrawal. And as we we're running back, you hear this, this round went off. And I just over the radio, I go, what the fuck was that? And one of the boys goes, yeah, Jazzy, I just shot someone. Oh. I was like, what the fuck? I turned around. He's a great mate of mine. We've been mates for years. And he was standing up and he's had his rifle up and he's seen. And I go, what the fuck happened? He goes, I just saw this guy. He was, and it, we, had, we got investigated. It was all legitimate. He actually had the spear gun. He was firing those darts at us and bang, just popped him, went straight through because um, he was up like that. So his left arm forward. So I went in through his bottom of his rib cage and came out the other side and dropped this dude. And we were like, oh, fuck. And I was on the radio. I was like, you know, tick, tick, tick. And the OC's like, what the fuck? I'm coming straight down there. And the OC drives down. And he's like, Land Rover 110. He's like, I'm taking over. I said, no, you're not. This is still my contact. Like, I'll. Back then, you thought it was a contact, but you know, little did you know, a couple of years later, you get into Afghanistan, and yeah, that's when that's when you really know. Um, I said no, nah. and so I, I did all the stuff, and then I handed over the OC, and then those what was those guys from? Was it the Portuguese police? Yeah, <laughs> those, those uh, they, they cool? just come in and they just lace the place with CS gas. Mate, they were ruthless. They, and, they were jacked, mate. They were like seven foot fucking yeah. tall. <laughs> just yeah. jacked up tattoos everywhere. Just monsters, weren't they? But yeah. man, they just used to carry um, CS gas. Yeah, I know. Just, just gas the place. Yeah. If someone didn't say hello to them, probably gassed. <laughs> like, <laughs> bon dia, gas. <laughs> yeah, and I remember looking fuck. back, looking over the IDP camp, and there was like a, a cloud, like a low, like a fog of this IDP camp and it was just CS gas. CS gas. Because these blokes had just come in and as they were pulling up, there's a guy getting out and he's like just throwing in like 40 mil CS. Tunk, tunk, like just letting rip. I was like, fuck. So we pulled back and handed over to them and we got it. Um, section got investigated, the MB, so they'd come in and just be big heroes and investigators. Um, we got cleared and but the rest of the trip was pretty uneventful after that. But <laughs> excuse me, I remember coming home from it did I mate die? Yeah, I think you did. I think. I don't know. You'd be still pretty sore, I think. Yeah, fucking. <laughs> Jonesy, just shot someone. <laughs> I, I clear to this day. I remember saying, what the fuck was that? Yeah, Jonesy, I just shot someone. I was like, oh, <laughs> here we go. There's a good uh, good report here. Yeah. Yeah. How do you put that in? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember getting home from that trip thinking my shit didn't stink. I thought, fuck yeah, I've been to section on operations, section command on operations, I've done this, I've done that, you know, like killing it. So I actually got, I was actually getting out because um, my partner at the time and my daughter, they were in Townsville and her family was from the Gold Coast and, you know, we were up in Townsville, I was away a lot. Um, so the decision was made that I, try, I tried to get a posting down south and you just couldn't get them back then you know um you had to know someone to get into six RL or someone had to die type thing and then um i actually had my discharge in and i got flown home probably in the january of 08 and as i was walking to get on the herc to fly home the rsm grabbed me and said listen when you land i want you to give this bloke a call because they're re-raising eight nine RL. it's an infantry i was like what the fuck's eight nine he goes, it was an infantry battalion that got disbanded years ago, but they're now bringing it back on the Orbat. He goes, they're going to be looking for section commanders. Ring this bloke when you get back if you want to stay in. Um, 
do it. So as soon as I landed, I had a break and we moved back to the Gold Coast and I rung, it turned out to be the RSM and I said, listen, what are the chances of getting to 8-9 so I can stay in? And he goes, I'll see you next week, you march in. And that's how I ended up at 8-9. Yeah, shit. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, yeah I remember. Just, I remember that when they were uh, when they were ramping up eight nine, and they were getting secos from everywhere, pretty much, or command trucks from anywhere. Yep, pretty. Yeah, pretty much anywhere, mate. Like if you <clears throat> that, and that's how a lot of guys were getting to Brisbane. Like I even had like a couple of digger mates ring and go, "Hey, listen, what are the chances of getting down there?" And you could literally the CO RSM, the XO. And then there was like a, a captain, an LT, a sergeant, and myself. We all sat in the same room. Like that's how little space that we had. And the actual CO was Simon Stewart, who's now the chief of the army. Um, one of the finest officers I've ever had the privilege of um, of serving with. Um, and he just, he literally just go, he'd see the RSM at Spoko and just go, so I've got a, a couple of diggers from Tour AI. They're about to get out. I reckon that'd be a good catch. Next week, they're fucking marching into the battalion. So it turned in, it actually became a two-hour mafia. Like, yeah, right. There's so many guys from two down there. But that all of 2008, we just trained. We did IET platoons in the battalion. So um, I started to get my time up as an instructor because um, we were getting – we had two or three IET platoons, marched through eight, nine, and then when they marched out, they just joined the battalion. And that's how we bolstered our numbers. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Mate, just quickly, just back to Timor, just for the listeners, uh, we talk about the Portuguese in uh, Timor. Now, Timor was uh, colonised by the Portuguese back in the 18th century. Uh, and then I think in late, mid-70s, they declared independence from um, the Portuguese. Yep. And then basically, I think a year later, 76, I think the Indonesians just went and invaded yeah. Timor. Just. <laughs> The Spanish did it. That's where it did. That's the it, Tetum, yeah. it's bastardized a version of, you know, um, Portuguese and Spanish type things. Yeah, exactly. No one knew who ruled it at any given time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, just for listeners, that's a, a brief, brief history. Definitely check it out if you are on the internet. Now, Major, you see your, your post down to 8 9. This is 2008. Yep. And setting up this whole, you, you're setting up a whole new battalion. This, you know, well, mate, run, it, run us through this because this was a, a bit of a fascinating time. As you said, they were just grabbing rank structure from everywhere and grabbing digs from anywhere and just mate, we were literally 500 grabbing, plus people. We yeah. were grabbing everything from everywhere, yeah. like yeah. office desks, chairs. If it wasn't bolted down, we were taking it, was- it and bringing it back to the battalion. Like, <laughs> oh, me and a couple of – the first IET course went through. They obviously then became like your section. Um, and one of the boys, they somehow ended up in this these buildings that were going to be knocked down because they're rebuilding it. And he found this fucking um, filing cabinet. We were pilfering the tables and chairs out of it. And he, this filing cabinet was locked and he popped it open and it had the a three-star general's number plates in it. Oh, took them. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Straight back to the battalion. Yeah, I think he's got him yeah. at home, by the way. But we moved back into the old uh, eight nine lines up at the. We had the boozer was reopened. Pretty much, we started when I joined the battalion. There's like seven of us. Um, that was it. That was it. Yeah, and it just like built the from founding there. members. <laughs> yeah, with yeah the OGs um, type thing. Um, but I had a bit of a I had a bit of time off in that zero eight like a. Um, 
yeah, I think just the, the previous number of years all sort of caught up and I was like, I need to take a bit of time off here. So I took a couple of months off and I went home and I was still obviously had a young daughter who I hadn't seen all that much of. Um, so I took a bit of time off and uh, spent a couple of months at home, June 08, and then come back for 09. We are just doing the same thing. Just lots of exercises, lots of um, training IETs and um, – I did my Demio course at Touraria. I remember getting back, like Jonesy going on a Demio course. Everyone else was going on leave, and I was pissed. I was like, "Fuck this shit! Fucking solve! It's got to do another course." But 2009 Battalion Eight Nine's doing all these live fire exercises, and you need Demio operator. I was the only one in the whole battalion that was Demio called. Oh yeah, yeah. oh shit! <laughs> right. So this kid, everyone else is out leopard crawling on their guts in the rain. Not this kid. He was oh, in his swag yeah. every night. I was just the demio operator on call. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much That's... all of zero nine, mate, and making bank too. Making yeah. bank. Feel um, pay. Yep. That's it. And then um went on sub one for sergeant and then recalled from that and yeah, that's when what it cracked up. It was like an extra fifty bucks a day or something, wasn't it? Anything well, it started them? off per per bank. I did it. it I used did to be, it. It used to be per oh, bank. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it changed. I, and apologies to all those people out there who um, now cop it per day. Um, yeah. I think I was part of that because, you know, you'd walk along and be like, oh, that's a UXO. I need to blow that stuff. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> yeah. put in my docket and, you know, I make bank and then it changed to per day. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Oh, listen, that's a that's a UXO. That's only a, a two two three, but that needs. Exp- like, remember those old <laughs> that needs those exploding whiz bang things. Remember those like the. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a UXO. That could potentially be a one hundred and five. It's a whiz bang, Jonesy. Oh, I still need to blow it up. <laughs> classic, mate. Classic. Yeah. Now, during this time, two thousand nine, we spoke about this uh, just before we got on camera. Two thousand nine. There was a certain human being, Justin Huggett, MG, uh, parading, <laughs> gallivanting around the world, more like Afghanistan, uh, under his own his own sail. Yep. Uh, during this time, he's uh, forged documents to get to Afghanistan, and uh, this is on Onlook. Uh, out, what do they call it? Exercise Long Look, I think. Long I'm Look, that's it. Long Pretty look. sure it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So Back he's on animals. a Long Look. Yep. He's on a Long Look. With the UK, the British, he was at the the. Yeah, he, he went over with the British. He was meant to be with some unit, then he went to um. He ended up with the Grenadier Guards. That's the, sure. the Grenadier Guards. Yeah, the Grenadier Guards. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and yeah, as I said, forges his way over to Afghanistan, gets into the Helmand Province, and <laughs> mate, I'll, I'll, you know, you're really good mates with him. So you, you, he only told, he didn't tell anyone, did he? No, initially. he didn't tell. Yeah, he we knew he was going over because um, he obviously section commander and a real good mate, and then he was like the senior corporal in the battalion, and you know he he got long look because yeah, he, phenomenal section commander and um, all that like yeah, he's a guru, so he, he thoroughly deserved the trip. Um, but it wasn't until he was in country that he sort of let us know that he wasn't where. <laughs> He was, he was meant to be. I call him old fat fingers. He's got big like, sausage-like fingers, and when he tells a story, he waves his hands around. So, if, so if I ever refer to him as sausage hands or fat fingers, that's I'm just talking about hugger. But um, 
yeah, we f- we found out that he's over there, and he's like, so send us some rum, send us some food, and that and we were sending him parcels, and um, um, you know, my uh, wife at the time, she'd like do him up food parcels and send them over to him, and we'd be emptying shampoo bottles and pouring rum into it and stuff like that, and sending it over, yeah, and then um, yeah, obviously all the shit came out, and there was somehow Sunrise got a photo of him, or something. There's a still from a video footage and a tip. He's in a brown shirt and he had his body armor on, his weapon. He had like a bandeezy on, bandana, and his big fucking fro he had on. And um, it was, I remember it being coming up on sunrise and it was like an Australian soldier um, has been sighted in Helmand province and then, you know, flashes the prime minister saying there's no Australian soldiers in Helmand. I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, yeah. As soon as I get to work. Go on, Jonesy, CSM wants to see you. Get over there. And the CSM was already in the OC's office and he was just like, what do you know? I was like, I know enough that maybe the Prime Minister shouldn't say there's no Australian soldiers in the Helmand province. And the OC was just like <laughs> hit, hitting his hand on this, what the fuck's going on? Who the fuck does this cunt think he's? Who the fuck do you think you are? I was like, oh, probably. Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. <laughs> just because I've been supplying him with rum for the last six months. <laughs> yeah, and then um, obviously it just like it just erupted from there. It was just like you need to go and speak to this person, that person. And I was just, I got to the point where I was like, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anymore. Like, I think it's probably best you just try and get hold of him, and then um, because he, he he'd ring. You know, once every couple of months, you know, obviously his family is priority. And then he, he'd ring one of us boys once every couple of months to let us know he's all right. And then, um, let me ring him. This is when he's back in the UK. And he's like, Oh, yeah, he goes, I'm in a fair bit of shit here. Yeah, there's a strong chance I'm going to land. They're going to, they're going to lock me up. It's going to be fucking like DFCE. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, Oh, fuck. You know, why wouldn't this happen to you? Like, not only have you been in the Helmand province, just dominating, but you're now potentially going to end up in fucking jail. Wild. Yeah, just wild. Fucking just. And then obviously then it toes into what he was saying, so it all sort of sorted itself out. And then he comes back, he doesn't get locked up, doesn't go to jail. And then it seemed like, I don't know, it could have been months, could have been days, but it seemed like it happened really quickly. He rung. He's like, "Oh yeah, I've um, been awarded the Medal of Gallantry for Afghan." I was like, "You've gone from nearly being in prison to then being invited to the Governor General's house in Canberra, oh, in Sydney, sorry, to be awarded the Medal of Gallantry." He's like, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> and we're just laughing. I'm like, "I'm coming." He's like, "No, I can only take." Um, so he just took his mum and dad, and I think his brother. Mm. I was like, this is bullshit. I've ridden this journey with you. <laughs> like, yeah, but then next thing you know, his photo, he's got his MG and yeah, he's <laughs> he's gone from prison to an MG. So Yeah. Uh, Fuck good. wild story. And for the listeners, if you want to listen to that story, head back to episode 112 and you'll get the full story from Justin. Absolutely yeah. incredible bloke. Uh you know, top notch soldier and obviously well deserved and you know, <laughs> fuck. Just it's a wild fucking story. You, oh, you have to listen to it. Hundred percent agreed. You forgery made forgery at its best. Yep. <laughs> you, you've, that that is 
that is the Australian digger. Like, it is, mate. It he is. epitomizes what it is. If if they were to just put a picture in the dictionary of an Australian digger, it'd just be a picture of him. You know, because that story that's that that is what it, I love telling that story as well. Like um, now, I work in the civil construction side of things, and you know, when people find out, like I was in the military and that, they're like, oh, you know. You suppose you got some good stories. And I said, yeah, I got a couple of good ones today. I got this one about my mate hold sausage fingers. <laughs> and I tell them the story and they're just like, their, their jaw hits the ground. And I'm laughing, thinking this is the greatest story of all time. But then I've got to remember I'm, I'm talking to civvies yeah. that are like in the construction world. And they're like, you think it's cool that he he forged signatures and got himself to Helmand Province and just got gunfights? I'm like, fuck yep. yeah. Like that <laughs> yeah. is... And they're like, they're just looking at us going, you blokes are fucking crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, that's yeah. my mate. <laughs> that's my- so. Yeah, absolutely classic. Now, mate, as I said, you're, you've taken a bit of leave. Uh, Hargo's done his thing and you've been involved in it all. And then 2010, mate, uh, eight nines pretty much set up uh, in, in full swing in a way. Battalion's pretty much rolling. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where it gets a little bit uh, – you finally get a trip to Afghanistan because Afghan and Iraq have been in full fucking swing. Yeah. Trips, trips thought- going around. I think Tuara has already been there a couple of times. Yeah, so Charlie Company went from Tuara and they, they went in the – actually, can't remember when they went. But, um, yeah, I missed that. And I actually thought I'd missed I'd missed out. Like I thought – Missed the war. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd missed it all. And um, especially when I got sent – in the end of 09, I got sent – on subject one for sergeant at Nungas there, and um, thought I sort of missed it all because eight nine had actually been told that in twenty ten they're going to Timor. So I thought, oh fuck, here we go. I'm going to go back to Timor. I've <laughs> been to Timor zero six zero seven zero eight, then I'm going zero ten. Oh, oh ten type thing. So I was like, oh fuck. So I was sort of sweet. I need to get out of the tank for a bit anyway. Sub one for sergeant, be good. All that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Then I got. Called back because um, 2010 six RR was going on MTF, so they were taking a lot of the senior sergeants and woes to go across the six RR for the the mentoring teams and all that kind of stuff. And because I was like a senior corporal, I just doing sub one for sergeant. I was at that junior end of I oh, hadn't even been promoted yet, so. They weren't even looking at me. They had enough corporals down at six RR, very capable, full tracks, you know, excuse me, a battalion full of great NCOs. And so I was sort of in limbo. So I was like, oh, fuck, going back to Timor. Awesome, here we go again. Could probably use the same map. And then, yeah, I got called back and um, Simon Stewart was still the CO of 8-9, who's now the Chief of Army, as I said earlier. And he just said, um, we've been asked to provide Toon Sergeant and about 15 blokes um, to meet up with one armoured, uh, another 10 blokes from one armoured, and um, you'll go over as a platoon sergeant for the Bushmaster platoon to support Special Operations Task Group. It's, this is how a bit slow on the uptake, and the penny hadn't dropped yet. I'm like, why are you telling me this? Like, you're looking for a platoon sergeant. Like, I'm not a, not a sergeant. And I must have just been looking at the CO with this like, dumb look on my face. He's like, we're going to promote you, mate. And I was like, oh, can my mum come? <laughs> <laughs> I got my mum to come and promote me. My mum promoted me on my first time to sergeant. So, oh, yeah, um, right. 
and he's just like, I can remember him just like him shutting his eyes and just shaking his head. And he's like, Ticket. yeah, mate, like, do you understand like the magnitude of what you've just been told? Yeah. And the RSM's like, come on, mate, let's go and have a chat. And went out and he's like, has it sunk in yet? I was like, oh, I'm going to Afghan. He goes, yeah, but you're going to be the platoon sergeant. I was like, holy fuck. And that's when it sort yeah. of sunk in. And he goes, you need to be in Sydney next week to go and meet up with um, the command structure for the the special operations task group. There's a few of them meeting up in Sydney. You need to go down. They need some um, um, advice on bushmasters and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, holy fuck. So I've been pulling off someone for sergeant. Um, next year, I was flying down to Sydney to meet up with the return that we were going, or the company that we were going over to support. That was um, Alpha Company. And I remember walking in and Tim Applin was the first guy sort of come out, Big Apples. And I was at 2RR with him for years. I was like, hey, Timmy. Um, and there was a few guys there that had left 2RR and done selection and now down there and had other mates in other companies. So it was just like, it was a bit of a reunion. So Timmy's like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm coming over with you guys to the, like the Bushmaster turns yard. He's like, fucking sweet, dude. See you over there. And then um, Cam Haynes and a few other guys and all that were there as well. And so it's sort of, um, from a personal side of things, it was sort of easy to integrate into the company because um, knew a lot of guys from two RR there's um, Dave Pollard and all that were there as well. So it was it was good, but it was um, fuck, it was a step up. Yeah, right. definitely, definitely, was, man. As I said, two commander already in the swing. They were already fucking taking casualties, getting in the fucking yeah. thick of it. Some of the, you know, obviously Shawali caught. Was already that offensive already happened, so there was multiple things that that happened. Yeah, so the the podcast that you put on was it yesterday with um Goody? Um, yeah, he, he was like in Goody. Alpha Company, so I met him over there yeah. as well. Like we were in um Oscar Vatoon, um, so I was I was I was with their um their captain, and he was in one of the other teams. But I remember him from being on that trip and that as well. And yeah, definitely it was um no, these guys were seasoned. You know, a few of them had done multiple trips by this stage. Um, so I remember just walking in and just the level of professionalism. Like, not to say that we weren't professional at eight, and I like we were, but once again, I just refer back to we were playing Brisbane Park footy. Yeah. And these blokes are playing State of Origin. Yeah. You know, and I remember going through that and then the first part of the trip, um, especially the first sort of tick that we got in. I remember sitting there going, holy fuck, what have I got myself into? Because I remember thinking after that Timor trip, my shit didn't stink. I thought it was all that in a bag of potato chips. And then someone goes, what was the difference like? And once again, I just refer back to a football analogy. It was like saying that Saturday afternoon, I played for brothers, C-grade, at 12 o'clock and I was on the tins by 12.30. And then Mal Meninga rings you Saturday night and says, oh, by the way, you start halfback for Queensland Wednesday night at Suncorp Stadium. That was, yeah. to me, that was like the, the sort of jump that it was. And I remember sitting there just going, mate, you've got to pull your socks up and you've got to be fucking on the game here because these, these guys just didn't accept mediocre. They didn't accept, uh, we'll, we'll give him a chance to learn. It was, you fucking needed to know your job and you need to know it well or else one that just sent you home or you just weren't like accepted sort of into because this is a tight-knit group of guys. These guys have been multiple rotations. They've done lots of stuff. They've been together. And 
first couple of weeks, everyone was sort of standoffish. They're like, oh, trying to put the feelers out. But once they sort of saw that you were um, capable, um, they you sort of got integrated into the return a lot more and the rest of the trip became um, a lot more enjoyable after that. Yeah, gotcha. Mate, and how long was this trip? They're about four months, aren't they? Yeah, four to five months, yeah. Elizabeth. Yeah, I think um, we might have just been on the four-month mark because obviously in that – that 2010 trip in the June, 21st of June, obviously the helicopter um, went down. We lost, um, you know, a few of the guys there, Tim Applin and um, Ben Chuck and Scotty Palmer and that. We lost them. So that um, that made that turn. Well, pretty much those guys, they just they flew home. They took the boys home, started doing the funerals and then Oscar platoon, we sort of just wrapped it up from there and we um, we got replaced and we all sort of flew home from there. I think I was home by the July of of twenty ten. How'd that affect you? You know, you knew Tim Applin from two. Um Yeah, it's uh Yeah, you never never forget days like that. Um but sort of try to look at it now that you know, like I was the lucky one that I got to know him. You know, and especially um up at two, played a lot of um, – because back in the team, when I first met Tim, um, it, was, it was the rugby mafia. You know, you, you weren't – if you're in the rugby mafia, you got away with a lot more. And I remember um, that's how I sort of met Tim and got to become really close friends with him because we played a lot of rugby together. And I sort of look back on it now that I'm the lucky one. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah, I remember – it was it was a tough few days, you know. I remember it all sort of, sort of remember bits and pieces of how it all sort of unfolded, and um, but now I try to look back that I was just the lucky one that I got to, you know, I got to know those guys and I got to be around them. Yeah, mate, it's fucking. <clears throat> it's one of those. Yeah. You know, fuck, you see all these journals writing all these fucking books, mate. they got no fucking idea. Yeah, exactly right, mate. I mean, that, like, fucking, that's, that's well, I think that's why I get my back up about it a fair bit. Yeah, I, I do as well. And um, I was telling my daughter the, the other week that I got a front row seat to mm. watch these guys work. Like, and I, my, I, I feel myself that lucky that I got to go on those two trips with that that task group, you know, not being SF quality or anything like that, but I got to sit and have a front row seat to watch fucking history unfold. And I got to watch some of the greatest men of our generation do their jobs and do it so fucking good. Like these guys were just phenomenal. The way they prepared, the way they wrote orders, the way they delivered orders, the after action reviews, to even the way that they fucking partied. Like and drank beers and relaxed and the way they looked after each other. Like I'm that fucking lucky that I got to witness that and be a part of it, um, be a very small part of that. But that without that, those two trips and not seeing that, like it pisses me off that their story isn't told more or mm. our, our story, that part of our time, the Australian Army's time, in Afghan, across the global war on terror. Like you talk to some people, um, like just here at work, and they're like, oh, yeah, so, 
yeah, we don't know too much about Afghan. I'm like, fuck, this pisses me off. This mm. is some of the greatest things happened. Yep, some bad stuff happened. We lost some great men. But let's tell this story. Like, these are the greatest men of our generation. And the government just wants to do what they're doing to us now. Like, yeah, mate, it's fucking fuck wild, it. isn't it? It's absolutely fuck. It's funny because a lot of publishers out there right now are not publishing any books to do with Afghanistan. And there's a few, I know a few guys that have reached out to publishers. They want to publish a book, and they're like, "Nah, we're we're over it now." Fucking disgusting. It's fucking wild, mate. Because yeah, yeah, absolutely wild. But we could go on yeah. about that forever, mate. Yeah. Uh, in regards to your deployment with uh, SOTG, how was the the tempo for you guys? Because they were doing a little bit of uh, helo work as well. So obviously they would go out and do some helo stuff. You guys get to sit back and edit Camp Russell. Yeah, so the first trip, the first part, um, well, the first trip was pretty much for us, there was a lot of it was vehicle. Um, and then when they went in for the Shwali Cot um, offensive, um, we uh, we were on standby. We did a lot of their resupply stuff. So I remember, we, like we'd fly in MO, we'd do, you know, because they went in for a couple of days. And, you know, a few days later, they're still there. Um, we did like an MO drop to um, sniper call sign that was out of MO. Um, so there was a couple of guys from Two Commander that was sick and couldn't go on the original push in. So they were helping like with the resubs. So we'd help get all the MO together. All that we had a couple of guys and went and um, attached to different call signs to help out stuff like that. But um. And then we did a lot of the because we were infantry. They um, they gave us um, not like the dregs, but they brought us into the return. They said because you guys have infantry, we know you got the basic infantry skills. So when we if we're in tick or whatever, and there's a puck, we're just going to send them back to you. We need you to process that to help free up our call signs. And we're like, okay, I can send you this group of blokes. They can do this. They can do that, um, and stuff like that. So. Yes, we were a bit quieter over the helo stuff, um, but we also got to um, – some guys got opportunities to go and help out and do some other things as well. Yeah, yeah, mate. And as you spoke about the Shawala Cot uh, offensive, mate, an- another historical part of the Australian Defence Force and the Australian Army history. Yeah. Uh, during that uh, offensive, multiple guys got multiple awards and not, not to mention bloody Ben Robert Smith gets a VC. So yep. that's, uh, you know, something uh, – yeah. It was absolutely wild. But then when he got picked up from the airfield, like that whole um, group, because, you know, they'd go down in the airfield, they'd either go down in the mogs or the bushes, you'd run them down in that. And I remember coming out and they got off the trucks and they're going in their team room and you know, they would just, you know, Iris is a monster of a man. And he just, and I got to know him over that trip and he, he was very welcoming to us. Like he knew, like we were from just a regular entry battalion. So, he expected high standards of us, but he also treated us a little bit differently mm. as well. He sort of um, – they could see that if they looked after us and did the right thing by us and, you know, trained us and helped us, then there'd be some younger guys in the platoon that would tend to go on and do selection. A couple of them did, um, went on, and then, you know, they could, could use it as a recruiting drive as well, mm. whereas, um, you know, there were some guys in there that were just assholes to us. But I remember getting off the trucks that night and seeing them – and just just looking at them, you know, and they were covered head to toe in, you know, there was blood stains on cams and all that kind of stuff. And once again, at the time, you think you look at them going, something big's just happened. 
but it wasn't obviously till down the track where you realise that mm. it fucking, you know, and then being in the compound over the next couple of days, the story starts to unfold about what happened and all that. You're like, holy fuck, fucking hell. And then down the track, he gets awarded VC. That's when you sit back and go, holy shit. Fuck, yeah. That was the, the magnitude of what happened on that day was just fucking just mind-boggling what they did. And um, once again, I was just lucky enough to get a front row seat to see these great men go to work. It was fucking pretty cool. Yeah, mate. So that rotation uh, wraps up uh, SOTG 12, 2010. You're back to, back to Brizzy, mate. Probably about two years of just kicking back and doing regular infantry Yep. Like the Missourians? Yeah, just chasing those bloody Missourians, mate. <laughs> Have they taken over the world yet? Does anyone know? <laughs> not far off it. Can you maybe do a podcast with one of them? <laughs> I just want to know what they think. Like, are they sick and tired of us chasing them? I think they've changed the name of the fictional army now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. There's Someone out there listening? They probably yeah. um, consider Missourians like one of the usts, you know, like sexist or racist or... What are the uses? That's if we, yeah, we can't fight them there. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to call them like him, they, or she, yeah, him, or something like that? The, <laughs> um, yeah, so now. back 2010, had some break. Um, yeah, did I saved a fair bit of coin from that one. Um, Good boy. We actually boy. bought the family home by then. Um, 2011, just off on sub two for Sergeant, just doing – Promotion courses, just regular um, chasing Missourians around, just regular live fire exes with the battalion. Is there anything on the radar? Any trips on the radar? Yeah, so there was the whisper going around that um, 8 and 9 was going to get MTF, uh, like a rotation of MTF, whatever they're up to. Um, and it all started to unfold and come out, yep, that we'd got it. And certain people were, were going to go because the orbit was only for a certain amount of numbers. And I remember... I was in Charlie Company and they said, yep, Charlie Company's going. And I was, I'd been fully promoted to sergeant by then. Um, and they said, you're going as a platoon sergeant. And I was sort of, to be honest, I'd asked for a posting out of the battalion because I was starting to get like, sort of sick of it really. And I was spending a lot of time away from home. And I went to the RSM and I said, listen, doesn't really phase me if I go on this trip or not. Like I don't really care. Like there's guys that have just been got their posting orders to Singo who have done one team or trip. I said, I've actually asked for a posting to Singo. Like I'll swap. Like I'll do like I've I've been to Afghan. Um and I was I felt very fortunate and lucky enough to get that. So um they said, right we'll put this other bloke in. Um you can sort of hang back here with the battalion and then we'll see how you go in the posting cycle if you get posted. And I was like, oh, okay, look, sweet. I'm sort of happy with that. Like get a bit more time at home. Like, you know, my daughter was starting to grow up by now and um, I was loving being at home with her. Like every minute I got with her was just phenomenal. And then um, phone call, come and see the CEO. I was like, oh, fuck. What have I done now? Like really, once again, straight back. <laughs> yeah, even it. as a sergeant, I was like, fuck, what have I done? Who's who's forged the document now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, even, yeah, you, you're right because it was my first thought was, what have I done? And yeah. I was like, fuck, what have the boys done? Right? What's someone done, yeah. Yeah, and got up there and the CEO's 
just goes, listen, we've got a warning order. Uh, they want to send, then Special Operations Task Group needs 12 blokes and a platoon sergeant to head to Afghan to support their rotation. Um, I've got all my sergeants embedded in the company to go on MTF. Do you want to take the trip? And I went, who's going? And they said, this bloke, this bloke, and this bloke. And there's a couple of them were really good mates of mine. And I remember sitting there going, if I say no to this particular bit and then something happens to them, I'll never forgive myself. As, as selfish as that mm. might sound, I I didn't – I thought the, the best way I can do anything to help protect them or do anything was to go with them. So I said, mm-hmm. oh, fuck it, I'll go. Um, and my – yeah. Obviously, that went down like a lead balloon on the home front. But, <laughs> yeah, um, with your wife, yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, then we just started. Then it was just like bang. We just got segregated from the battalion, set. We got straight op- opcon operational command straight to SOCOM, um, and then just bang, just did dealt with them. And then, as part of the rotation, you weren't split to like FE Alpha and FE Bravo. It was you were a task group asset. So I'd go to orders for both force elements. Then you go to the CO's orders. So I had like an overview of what everyone was doing at any one time, and then. They were like, fuck, we're short people. Can you be the, you're going to be the SFLO? I'm like, first of all, I had to check what that meant. <laughs> Go through the acronym thing. I'm like, I know SF is Special Forces, then LO, and they're like, liaison officer. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And yeah. I go, this bloke's leaving in two days, do a handover with him. And he was running me around like, this is the pin code to get in here. You need, and I've still got my ID. Um, There's only a few people that could carry a weapon into every area on the base and I had one of those IDs like yeah. I could because usually you check in some areas you have to check in like your phone and your your 9 mm. mil and that no I was allowed to, there wasn't too many areas where I wasn't allowed to go you know and you go down and you get you get briefed by a, like a SEAL team guy like SEAL team commander you know we're going to go here we're going to get this guy you goddamn Aussies leave my fucking blokes alone I'm like <laughs> this is cool <laughs> like um, you know and we we could get fresh milk and they couldn't. They're like, when you come down next week, you better bring some fresh milk. I was like, I just cruise <laughs> down on my quad bike and my liter yeah, of yeah. fresh milk, like down on my buggy and <laughs> give them fresh milk. They're like, fucking thank you, man. We love you so much. I'm like, just fresh milk, dude. By the way, can we borrow a black hawk? <laughs> They're like, where do you need to go? Like, oh, we just need to duck down a can of any chance. Like, yeah, okay. We got one going anyway. Jump on. So, <laughs> yeah. Now it was good. And then once again, that was like an eye opener because. I'd never been in that position um, and you had to learn fucking quickly because mm. there's no, like when they're, they're all time-sensitive targets, right? And they don't give a fuck if you've just come into the job. You've got that role, know your fucking job to do it properly and get it done quickly. Like, So you could be up at, with our task group and when they'd get a target go off and they're going after it, you'd have to race down to MTF, make sure that they had no one in there. Then you had to duck across to the Americans and the ODA and all that and make sure that one, they weren't, because <laughs> sometimes they could be chasing the same person type thing. Um, go down and you'd just be like, you'd have like the printout and be like, no, we're going to do this. Deconflict the battle space pretty much. Um, yeah, yeah. And here I am this, yeah, Sergeant Jones from a regular infantry battalion Trying to de- Never done deconflict, like that yeah, before. trying to deconflict battle space for special forces units, and I'm just like, 
holy fuck. I'll get to the end of the day and I'm just sitting there and my roommate would just be like, you all right? I'm just like, fuck, dude. Like, this is hectic. Like, and then boop, 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 the page would go off and then bang, it's on because it can happen at any time. Mm. Um, and not only having to do that, but you also had to be like that platoon sergeant role too for the guys over there. And I was very lucky. I had some senior um, a senior land shack and a senior full track that were like if I was called away for the day, they could pretty much run the platoon. Because um, I think without them, I, I don't reckon I would have been as successful at getting things done without them. Um, but, yeah, once again, a massive learning curve just – yeah, just that's, huge. That's fucking crazy, mate. Like, yeah, t- totally, totally out of your scope. With did any training you did, you know, even sub one for sergeant or anything uh, as a full track prepare you for anything that you're going to do for this liaison job? No, nothing, nothing, no. no. And the level of professionalism and how you learn to brief and sum things up quickly because you're briefing like commanding officers of task groups, like special forces task groups. They don't want the fucking long-winded stuff. Sharp to the point and be precise with the information. And having to learn to condense, you know, big bits of information a little bit for them to get the key stuff out to then make a decision if they're going to go after a target or not based on advice from three or four people standing in the room. It's just like, like no, no, nothing ever, ever prepared me for that. But I look at it now like... I'm, I'm in the renewable energy sector. So when we turn on a wind farm, you get these fucking politicians come out and they do the dog and pony show. And we did one at a, at a wind a solar farm a couple of years ago and everyone's like, oh, fuck, the minister's coming out. I'm like, what are you all panicking about? They're like, oh, you know, this. I'm like, I'll do it. And they're like, you're going to brief? I'm like, if I can brief a fucking four-star general in Afghanistan, sure, shit, yeah. you talk to a fucking energy minister from Queensland about a solar yeah. farm, like, you know, like, so I, I try and relate things I do now back to that. And I think that role's really put me in good stead for where I am now, like, and, and the role that I've got. Cause, um, you know, I work for a, an international developer and we've got people coming over from overseas and all that. And I just, when I see them walk in the room, everyone's like, ah, oh, fuck. And I just look at it going, I'd, you've had to brief SEAL team commanders, you've had to brief commanding officers of special forces units, like the commanding officer of special or SOTG had been in the army for like 38 years, longer than yeah. I'd been alive, 30 of it he'd spent in the SSR. Like this dude, and even like the RSM, he was like 11 trips or something he was on. He'd done more trips than years I'd been in the army, right? Yeah. These guys don't take bullshit, right? And I remember my, just backtrack a bit, my second trip, I had to write my PAR. Like the RSM usually writes the son. And he goes, Jonesy, write your PAR. I was like, wrote it. I gave it to him. And he just ripped it up. And he goes, fuck. And he goes, oh, no, that was a load of bullshit. <laughs> I was like, because <laughs> <laughs> I, I just ticked myself up. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. you're fucking idiot, mate. Like, um, they, they just don't cop bullshit. So when we get like politicians or big wigs that come in or investors, I look at them now and I'm like, you've had to brief CEOs of task force. Like, this person is nothing. Yeah. Oh, not nothing. Is, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. It's like a wrong thing. But if you can do that in a warlike environment, you can it's sit in an air-conditioned office and you can talk about a wind turbine or a windmill, you know, exactly. or a solar panel. Yeah. Exactly. So Exactly. 
And wartime, mate, we're talking about fucking people's lives. You know, this is where people can fucking die. Exactly right. And it's funny you say that. I got, um, I don't know where I was, but someone said something to me. They knew me from 8 9. They're like, you were a fucking real cranky prick when you were at 8 9. You fucking, you know, you yelled and rant and raved and you fucking, you know, like carried on a bit. And I said, yeah. You know, looking back now, I probably did. Probably, you know, I, I still do have a short tempo and I probably flew off the handle a few times and said, but. When you were in Afghanistan, did you have a decision to make about turning left or right? Oh, no. I said, do you fucking know what that pressure's like to make that left or right call? I said, shut the fuck up. I said, because if I went left and that lead vehicle hits a roadside bomb, right, and that bloke gets hurt, guess who that's on? Mm. You know, like, I said, there's also a lot of pressure that goes with that kind of stuff, mate. I said, yeah, I might not have dealt with it the best. I might have lost my temper a few times. I said, but... Fuck a lot of pressure that goes with it, mate. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, mate, fucking secos and sergeants. That's that's what you should be cranky, fucking motherfuckers. That's you're dealing with fucking us simpletons. Fuck it, yeah. Like, and you got like the full spectrum of stuff too. Like, I remember one of the first jobs I got did when I got out of the army. They're like, "What's a platoon sergeant?" I go, "Pretty much, you're a a father, a best mate, a worst enemy, um, ass kicker to." 27 guys. And then I said, one of my first returns, look, the guys that come up out of OITs didn't know how to use washing machines. But they were that mm. young. Like, so That's one wild. minute you're teaching them how to put fucking washing powder in a washing machine and, you know, put it to the right cycle and all that. And the next year you're on a live fire range with them. Mm. <laughs> I go, what job has that full spectrum? You know? So, and then next thing you know, you're in Afghanistan. That's exactly right. You know, so, um, but made that that second trip. Once again, it just like the level that you had to go to, um, and the professionalism. It, it taught me so much. Like it was hard. Like I remember that was the most fatigued I'd ever come home from a trip. Was that one not like physically fatigued, but mentally? Just mentally, yeah. Like having to make sure that your power. Because say, for instance. There could be, say, five targets all ready to go. So there's five different briefs that you've got to give potentially if that goes off and you're just waiting. Yep, could be plan three. So you grab and you do a quick read over it and then you've got to race off and you've got to brief. So you've got to give them enough to tell them what's going on, but you can't give them too much because obviously OPSEC and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just – yeah, the level you sort of had to go to, the level of professionalism on these guys – which is, I remember sitting back just going, holy fuck, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, very lucky to be part of it and grateful. Like, it's, it's made me who I am today. It's got me where I am today. And 99% of the stuff I do at work, I find a way to relate back to what happened on those two trips, what I was taught on them. Like, a bloke taught me that, um, you know, the good old adage, no plan survives the first minute. First bullet, so I use that at work. Let's let's have a few plans. Let's come up with a few different ways of things because no plan survives the first. I've had to change it to minute because you say bullet, people are like holy fuck, was he talking about guns? Yeah. Like, and then another good one was don't run to your death. The problem's always going to be there. Just, exactly right. Just stop, have a think. Like especially now, like in construction building, wind turbines, right? There's a problem. Yep, we know the problem. Let's stop. Make sure everyone's safe. 
and we've got some really intelligent people at work for the company that I work for, Res. Let's rely on them. We've got civil engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers. Let's just stop and let's just ask the smart people. Figure it out. Figure it out. Give me the options. Let's brief who we need to brief. Let's make a plan and let's go with it. Right. That's it. And that's all from my time in the army. And then that's a SMEAC right there. Mate, I actually gave I gave a lesson on SMEAC one time. They're like, Yeah, oh, can you can you give up? If you had to stand up right now and give a five minute lesson, what would it be on? I'd I go, I'll do it. I go, what are you doing? I go, SMEAC. And they go, fuck SMEAC. <laughs> and I just wrote SMEAC on the board and yeah. gave this like five minute soldiers file on SMEAC. And they were like, holy fuck, that was amazing. I'm like, that's what's used all the time for everything. Um, but yeah, once they made just very fortunate, very lucky. That's awesome, mate. So you finished that trip, 2012, SOTG. Uh, you discharged in 2014, but you're back to obviously eight, nine for the last yep. couple of years, mate. Just feeling had enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, had had enough. And I I didn't want to get out. I begged and pleaded with the, at the time, CO of eight, nine. Um, yeah. I begged and pleaded with him for instructional posting. I said, I just need some time out of the tanks. By this stage, I'd had 11 years. I'd spent two and eight and on. I'd never seen outside of a a battalion. I'm like, I just, just give me a break. Give me something else. Give me something new. Like my whole family was ready to move wherever. I was pleading. I said, please, can I have Singo? Because like, I actually enjoyed times that I've been down to Singo. I actually quite enjoyed it. Um, and he just said, no, we need you to stay in the battalion. You got to stay. Um, and I said, I can't do it. Like, I'm, I'm fucking broken here. Like, I'm hurting. There's, um, I haven't seen my daughter. You know, by the time she was 10, I'd been home for two birthdays. I'm like, let, let me have some time. And he, he just wouldn't. So I said, right, fuck you, I'm getting out. And he goes, oh, you won't get out. I went, right, I can't. Is that what he said? Yeah, that's what he said to me. Yep. Fuck. Oh, no. I, I fucking despise that man too. He's a fucking- and this is this is crazy because this is when the defense force was screaming, you know, doing those retention bonuses for yeah. sergeants and trying to keep people in. Yeah. Because everyone's discharging because all the wars are fucking ending. Yeah. I, I didn't want to get out, to be honest. I really didn't want to get out. Like I just, didn't, just I, wanted to post him down to Singo. Yeah. Look, because I, I, I really wanted to go to um, the DFW section there and the School of Tactics. Like I really wanted a post in there, like because at the times that I was in heavy weapons platoon, you'd ring and you know, you'd get advice off those guys. And then I had a real good mate, Freddie Kruger, who was a sergeant there at um, heavy weapons section, and would go down, we'd help do testing of weapons, or we'd go down, we'd do courses there and that. And actually, I really liked that environment. Like I, like I loved learning different things, or how to employ machine guns in different ways, and all that kind of stuff, eighty fours, and all that kind of stuff. And he was just flat out no, like. No, you're not going. And it turned out in the next year, the battalion went to Iraq and did, um, I don't know, some trip over there. I'm not saying I would have got one. I'm not saying I would have been on that, but there's a potential there for another six months away. And um, yeah, it was, I was missing too much time with my daughter. And then That's it. I was going to, yeah. And obviously, the CEO pushed you over the edge by saying, You won't do it. Yeah. I fucking- remember sitting in his office when he said, You won't do it. And I actually started to cry. Yeah. Because I thought, you've backed me into a corner here and this is the only way I know 
how to get out of this. And I walked downstairs and I signed the discharge papers and said, put it in. And that was it. Not once did he ever ring me. Did he ever, like, he didn't even present me with my discharge certificate. So much of a scumbag he is. Like, absolute fuckwit. Um, yeah, and I remember sitting in his office and I started to cry because I was like, this is a realisation here that I'm now long, no longer going to be doing the greatest job I've ever had or be around the boys anymore, all because of this bloke. Uh, and, yeah, when I just walked down, I think I pretty much I was, I was upset the whole way drive back to the Gold Coast because I knew that, that that was it after that. Like, mate, I didn't even have a Medicare card. Yeah. Because when I joined the army at 17, I was still a mum and dad. I didn't, I didn't have a CV. I didn't, know, didn't have a Medicare card. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm out, right? And I remember going to Queensland Transport and I had to get my licence like um, renewed. And she goes, oh, you got ID? I said, oh, that's it there. And she goes, oh, you got a Medicare card? And I'm like, it's a Medicare card. That. Yeah. And she goes, oh, very funny. I'm like, no, seriously, what's a Medicare card? And she's like, you're like 34 and you don't know what a Medicare card is. I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I've been in the army for all these years. Like if I want a Voltaren, I'll just go to the RAP. If I'll see yeah, it, that's it. It's go to the RAP. <laughs> right? And she's like, you need to go to Medicare and get yourself a Medicare card. <laughs> I was like, okay. So, <laughs> I mean, passport. <laughs> Still had my, like, my army ID and I'm, I'm walking, lining up at Medicare to get a Medicare card. That's wild. Yeah. Applying for jobs and they're like, attached CV. I'm like, what does CV mean? So I'm Googling CV, you know, circum, whatever it is. And I'm like, where the fuck do I get one of these from? So, because I never had one. That's so, it, yeah. Because I worked at McDonald's before I joined the army and then I joined the army. And I got a job at McDonald's because my old brother was already working there. Yeah, yeah. So, Fuck. Yeah. Jeez. Out in the big bad world there. And just just on on that, let's just say that CO said, yeah, sweet, mate, uh, I'll send you down to CO, mate. How long do you reckon you would have stayed in the army for? I'd, I'd probably still be in now, I reckon. Still. So this officer has just, you know, potentially lost a fucking – you know, lost a fucking highly trained fucking soldier, not to mention mm. at a senior fucking digger fucking level, sergeant. Mm. It's fucking wild. Just tip tip for young fucking subbies out there. Just fucking pull your heads in. Yeah. Pull and I actually said to him, in. I said, if you give me two years at Singo, which is sort of because my dad's side of the family is from Newcastle, right? And yep. I, lo- I love that area. I love being in Newcastle. Oh, yeah. You know, I would have been. Yeah, I'm seeing my daughter go home every night to see my daughter. Oh, probably not every night. Obviously, so bush exes and that to do, mm. but it would have been um, nothing as crazy as what had happened over the you know, the years before. I said, if you just give me a couple of years there, I will go anywhere. I'll go to Antarctica and count penguins if that's what the army wants me to do. Right? No, we need you to stay here. I'm like, I'm pleading with you. I can't, I can't stay here. And it wasn't because of the guys. Like, some of the best mates in my life are from that battalion, still mates with now. It's just I needed to get out of the battalion environment because it was just, yeah. I, I was a big fish in a little pond. I thought I was killing it. And I knew that there was a whole another different part of the army that I needed to go and learn um, to be a better instructor, to be a better person, all that kind of stuff. I needed to experience that. And, you know, yeah. and it also needed some fresh blood in the battalion too, I thought. 
Yeah, like, of course. I, I was holding a position that was stopping someone else from also getting promoted and learning the way that I got to learn. Like um, I learned very much hands-on, thrown in the deep end. You're either going to succeed or you're not, but you're going to learn along the way. Um, I was stopping someone else getting that opportunity. Like, but no, he just, he wouldn't do it. What's his name? What's his name? Khalil Fagan. Yep. Fucking <laughs> shit stain. And you know what? And even at the 10-year the reunion, um, so 2022 the battalion, um, they did a 10-year reunion for MTF. And the RSM at the time, um, phenomenal bloke, brings up and goes, yep, we know the SOTG rotation come from 8-9, all you guys can come along as well. Right? Khalil Fegan couldn't make it because he was like brigade commander of three brigade or something. Somehow got a fucking job up there. Um, he sent a letter and they read it out at the fucking boozer for the 10-year reunion and not once did he mention anything to do with the detachment that went on SOTG. Right? And there was guys, there was diggers there that were just standing there going, Oh, fuck, look, our own CEO couldn't even acknowledge the fact that we went and did something. It's much of a cop that bloke was. Yeah, is he still in? Yeah. He is. I think so. Fuck, what a weasel. Wouldn't want to run into him in Woolies. What a weasel. Hit him with a leg of pork or something. <laughs> yeah. Mate, we'll come for his fancy jacket one day. Yeah, fucking nice. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mate, uh, so you discharged 2014. Again, mate, not really in your own terms in a way. Yeah, how are you feeling? How was that transition into CVWS? You didn't even know what a fucking Medicare card was. Yeah, mate, and to be honest, I was lost. So I'd gone from, I think it's more sort of lost, like my identity or what I thought was my identity because um, all I've ever known was the military and I was so proud to say when, like, what do you do if I met any people? Oh, I'm in the army and now I'm out. What do you do? Nothing. You know, like I, I felt I lost my identity. Mm. Like, and I was, I just didn't know what to do. Um, but looking back now, I was actually, I had a year there where I was at home and I was doing the greatest job you could ever be. It was just being a dad. You know, I got to be at home. I got to spend time with my daughter. I got to do the school run, you know, hang out my active wear at the school gate waiting to pick up my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Send the photos through. Yeah, I look I'll good in active up. wear too, mate. I'll um, put them up. <laughs> even better in budgie smugglers. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Um, but, you know, I, I got that year with my daughter. You know, I was I was struggling. Um, I, you know, I got to do the school pickups and drop-offs and um, be the dad that was screaming over for ladies' carnivals and all that kind of stuff. And then, mm. um, yeah, it was, it was really hard. It was a hard adjustment. Like I struggled with it, to be honest with you. Yeah, right. And what did you do for the next couple of years? Um, tried my hand at some private security work when did the, the standard um, fucking um, just do bold pickets at the Australian Embassy in Kabul. Did that for a bit. Didn't really like that and then come back and um, a good mate got a, a gig um, on a solar farm near Dolby building that and he's like, hey, they're looking for people. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, righto. Like, what's a solar farm? He goes, I don't know. We'll figure it out, mate. And then, um, yeah, I've just started. I've just been in the renewable energy sector now for the last probably, oh, since probably 2016. Um, bounced around to a few different companies, building a few different projects. And now I'm with um, a company called Res. Um, 
they, they're a family-owned company out of the UK. And, um, mate, I applied for a job a couple of years ago with this company. And, um, you know, the head of construction at the time, a bloke called Anthony Bursey, um, mate, he took a chance on me a few years ago. Um, you know, a, a digger that didn't know what a Medicare car was. And then he's, he's given me a crack at, um, running projects for him now around Australia and all that. And, um, he's he's gone from like a boss now to like a mentor uh and he's shown me now how to take my military experience and put it in the civilian world and really make it like a red hot crack of of being like a civilian in the construction industry uh he took a chance on me a few years ago mate and um now i'm a, a digger that didn't know what a medicare card was that's running a, a 300 million dollar project so <laughs> That's wild. That's wild. And, you know, those foundations, again, as you said, mate, comes from the military. There's a few things you've introduced into, you know, that uh, renewable, renewable energy side of things, you know, construction side of things, SMEAX and, you yeah. know, all these type of little, you know, things that the military does best is, you know, um, organize, as an organization, especially structure. That's one yep. thing that the Army's really good at is obviously structuring the day. Yeah. And, you know, I'd put it back to this. This bloke, he gave me, he took a chance on me, and he did, mate. Like, you know, some people would see my CV and just go, like, he's That's a liability, it, yeah. right? But um, even to the point now where Res has got a veteran support program, I'm the only one in it for yeah, Australia. Right. Yeah. Right? And they've started a program, like, to, because there's two people in the UK, in the Res office uh, in the UK, that are ex veterans, and then there's me. The only one in Australia, and I tell you what, and my direct boss now, um, and Anthony, a couple of days out from Anzac Day Remembrance Day, they're they're on the phone. Hey mate, how you doing? Do you need some time off? Do you need like? And they know the twenty first of June, obviously the anniversary of Tim's passing and the boys. They know what that means to me, and they're on the phone. They're like, Hey mate, how you going? Um, do you need anything from us? Can we help you? And I'm like listen, can I just have tomorrow off? Like I need just – and they're like, yeah, mate, do what you need to do. Um, and it's been – I think it's been a learning curve for them as well. And it, I think it's sort of helped break down that stigma that guys coming out of the the army, yeah, we might – like post-traumatic stress, a lot of people call it a disorder, but it can also – I see it as a bit of – can be growth as well. Like we've been through some traumatic stuff. But yeah, I've been through some hard times and I I struggled and I got out. But now that's helped me grow into the person that I am now. And when I think I'm in a hard spot, I sort of look back about what I've sort of been through and the hard times that I've had, you know, mentally and physically over the years and look back now and go, you know what, mate, you can do this. You got it. Like you can, you can get this. You work, work this problem, work it, you know. Don't run to your death. You know, there's plenty of smart people around. And, um, yeah, just once again, just very lucky. That's awesome, mate. That's fucking, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Mate, uh, we've been chatting for a while now and it's been absolutely hectic just to hear the the story, your story, you know, you know, basic regular infantry soldier moving all the way up to sergeant and obviously the the escapade in between <laughs> from, you know, being a loose digger down in, in Hawaii, just turning it on to just, you know, on the coattails of Justin Huggett. 
gallivanting around the world. I, re- I reckon and, you'd have sore shoulders for me riding them. They sitting on them the whole time. And um, yeah, mate. And obviously your deployments. You know, you, you did quite well. Uh, I did, Saudis, mate. Yeah. Timor and uh, SO2 Afghanistan, mate. And yeah, pretty shit to hear that some fucking dweeb of an officer, you know, pretty much cut your career short by not. Uh, you know, I understand you can't give everyone what they want, but when it comes down to it, beggars can't be fucking choosers these days. So, yeah, exactly. You know, and you know, you got to be a human being bad as well. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, you wanted to see your family and spend more time with your family. And fuck, you haven't done, you didn't do a, a training rotation. You know, a posting, nope. which is, mate, some people can't get off fucking training posting. <laughs> you know, like fuck. exactly, exactly right, mate. You know, and I. I think once again that's shit though because they don't have that cross experience of operations yeah. and training because how are we meant to train the next level or next series of diggers when they're being taught by people with no operational experience. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not saying that's the be all to end all but fuck we've got a different set of experiences we know what works and what doesn't work. You know and yeah. It's well, a bit it is, crazy. You, well you look at it, you know when we went through Singo early 2000s you know most guys have only pretty much done team or or maybe the Solis, and that was it. Yeah, you know, as you know, it's World War Team War. Was it compared to Iraq and Afghanistan? It's totally different scenarios. You know, yeah. imagine the guys that you know for the last ten years have been teaching down at Singo to the extent of what they've been teaching down there. Guys have yeah. done Solis, Team War, fucking Afghanistan, Iraq, killed motherfuckers. You know, like yeah, done the fucking job as an infantry soldier. So yep. the the quality of Soldier that's coming out of uh, infantry training or IETs at Singo now would be fucking phenomenal. Yep. To- yeah, totally agree with you. You know, and even as I was starting to get out, excuse me, some of the SF guys were even taking postings to, there was a couple of guys that I did my first trip with who were from two commando who took a posting up to eight, nine to have a bit of a break. And you could just see the level of experience, capability, and training that they brought to the battalion, just like um, doing room entry drills, for instance. Yeah. Right? These these guys wrote the PAM on it, and all of a sudden you've got this full track who's done four or five rotations of Afghan, probably Iraq and everything in between, teaching these diggers room entry drills. Like, yeah. I was a sergeant. I'm on the back end of the line. I'm like, I've got to learn from this dude. Like, this dude yeah. knows his shit. Like, if you want to... Yeah, and yeah, but you know, one officer sort of <laughs> douchebag. What a douchebag, mate. A yep. uh, couple of final questions uh, just to end up the podcast, mate. First question, you kind of a- answered that first question at last probably five minutes, mate. What advice can you give to people just to keep on keeping on completely any goal they set their mind to, just to fucking crush it and fucking what they do in life? Yeah, you just yeah, if you want something. Go and get it and uh, make sure you've got a good group of people around you. Like I've got a group of mates around me, my brothers, um, my my partner at the moment, uh, Lacey. Like if there's if I ever have any doubt or anything, I go to that core group and I go, listen, this is it. And they're like, okay, let's work this problem. And then I find a solution. Just get after it. Just fucking go and get it. Like I didn't know what a Medicare card was and – I'm running two projects worth close to a billion dollars, right? You fuck it, you can do it. You put your mind to it, right? Think about it, and you can go and get it. Like it's especially like guys getting out of the military, and it's going to be tough. I'm not going to lie to you; it's going to be tough. But 
you're going to have tough days, but use your experiences from the military in the civilian in the civilian world, mate, and you will fucking dominate. Yeah, exactly, mate. And goes back to what you said before. Stop. Think about what you're doing. Mm. Yep. Get some advice. Figure it out. Get yep. it done. Simple. That's it. Like you, you did in Afghanistan as an LO. You had no yeah. fucking idea. You're like, oh, fuck, I'll, I'll, yep. fucking, I'll figure it out and make it work. And it's the same. Look, I don't know how to build a wind farm. But I'll tell you what, there's some fucking smart people sitting in a room next to me that know how to do it. Exactly. Right, I just, it's my job just to tie it together. Yeah. Right, there's some smart people just tie it together. And you've done that, been in a section. Even if you're just a, the number one rifleman, right, you're in charge of that group, moving it, the bounds, the, the rates of fire and all that. You've got that experience. Just just use it. Just tap into it and go from there. Yeah, perfect, mate. Now, mate, uh, same question. What is the plans for the future? Obviously, working for Res uh, Renewables, an Australian company, isn't it? Uh, so they're um, UK founded and based out of the UK, but we okay, have a yeah. head office here for the Australian, Australian arm in um, Sydney. Yep. Uh, so the, well, what is the future? I've made staying doing what I'm doing. absolutely loving doing this at the moment. The challenge that this um, this job is giving me at the moment is just I'm really enjoying it. Um, my missus is pregnant. We're about to have what will be my second child. So she's due end of October. So yeah, nice. um Another another little girl along the way. Um, so really looking forward to that. Um, you know, being a, at home a lot more uh, for this one. So I missed out on a lot when my first daughter was born, Summer. Um, and then, well, Summer's 18 now and just enjoying being with her. Like absolutely love hanging out with her. She's a great kid, um, you know, and she can buy me a schooner now too. So um, <laughs> just re- really enjoying life at the moment. Um my mates are good. Um, the missus is good. She, you know, pregnant, uh, glowing. Um, my really repairing that relationship with my daughter after years of being away. So loving that at the moment. And um, mate, just frothing on life. You know, bought a boat. So yeah, nice mate. Nice, <laughs> nice. Where, where are you living? Uh, I live in Brizzy. Um, Brizzy, yeah. Yep. It's loving Brisbane. Love just yeah. being around that. The vibe that Brizzy gives out. There's always a sporting oh, yeah, event on. There's always yeah. something to do. Um, Greatest spot in the world. Yeah, Brisbane. mate. The Vegas, um, just down the road to the Goldie. Um, yeah, mate. Just and really, just also just loving how good my mates are doing at their chosen fields at the moment. Like my mate, he's got an avocado farm. You know, there's a couple other guys that are in this industry as well, and just just loving seeing my mates Excel. doing well. Yep, their yeah. families are well, their kids are growing up. Like seeing them be fathers, um, it's just phenomenal. Like it's it's really good. That's awesome, mate. That's awesome. Mate, third question now, just to bring you back down to the normal human level yep. of just being a dude, a bloke at home. Mate, tell us something that people don't know about you. You know, the you know you would have been one of those sergeants to be some young digger out there listening on fuck, he was a cunt, but uh, you know. Make sure you wear budgie smugglers. <laughs> uh, mate, um, something that people don't know about me. Um, I'm probably, I'm actually a massive softie and I I cry a lot in movies. Marley and oh, me, does me. 
Oh, yeah, no. mate. Oh, Dead mate. dog. Yeah, mate. <laughs> oh. Just thinking about it now. He's done. That's yeah. his dad. That's um, yeah, there's not oh, – I'm a pretty sp- straight-up kind of guy, really. What you see is what you get. But, um, yeah, I'm probably a pretty emotional fella. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking – yeah, some sad movies out there. Oh, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Mate. Marley and me. <laughs> Fuck, what did the missus have on the other night? Um, some, a time traveller's wife. It's got oh, Eric Benner in it. No, I haven't seen Yeah, that. don't watch it, mate. Your, your eyeballs start to sweat towards the end of it. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are we watching this for? They put something on that someone gets shot, you know? Yeah. It's non-emotional. <laughs> Not emotional, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Mate's uh, fourth question, favourite military movie. Uh, here we go. Hey. Or TV show. Band of Brothers. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Now we're talking. Yeah. Epic. Just, that was during our time, I guess, in the army. That's what we fucking watched. It was yeah. literally fucking Banner Brothers, I think. Yeah, there was a couple of other Saving TV Private shows Ryan. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, I like that um, 13 Hours in Benghazi. Um, yeah. That one, that's Fuck, a good movie. That's a wild story. Um, yeah. Mate, I've had two of the guys on. Yeah. Fucking yeah. crazy, hey? Like yeah. that just blows wild. my mind. And then um, I was actually watching the other night, Zero Dark Thirty. About how that's a good um, one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. How they, how they actually got OBJ, um, which you know it's a different side of things. You know that obviously everyday blokes like me that don't get to sort of see that side of things. But um, yeah, love that. Yeah, mate, that's a cracking movie. Actually, mm. yeah, real really good. good movie, mates. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Social media. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just on. I'm on Insta. Um. Simon six four. Charlie, <laughs> old 6'4", heavy weapons call sign, mate. Six heavy four, weapons all yeah. the way. I've actually named my boat Heavy Weapon. <laughs> oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, um, especially if, you know, there's guys that want to get into the construction industry, they're getting out, they're looking to get into the renewable thing, the, the renewable sector, reach out, let's touch, like I want to, you know, um, let's make this the next army mafia. Yeah, we've got this skill set to dominate. Um, you know, not so much like take over like warlords type thing, but mate, we can come in and we can, we've got a lot to offer. Mm. So reach out. I can get in touch with the right people or, you know, we're looking to expand as well. Let's, let's start using the skill sets that we've got to, you know, get you going. It's, yeah, let's take over. Yeah, exactly, mate. And as you said, the skill sets, you know, the skill sets the Army teaches you, not even the Army, the Army, Navy, Air Force, First yeah. responders, mate, it's invaluable. Not even that they're spending thousands, millions of dollars on just one person yeah. training you. You know how much how much money the military spent on you and you know in your twelve oh. years of service, fucking squillions, squillions. Yeah. Training yeah. courses, every course you can fucking think of, you've done from chainsaws through to fucking, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything. There's been yeah, exactly. a course you've done. So, you know, yeah. up to obviously sergeant level. You're talking management level. You know, yeah. for for the civvy out there, you know, generally a platoon sergeant is basically. An operations manager, essentially. Yep. So yep. there's a fucking lot behind it. Yeah, mate. And the yeah, and a lot of people sort of sit and look, you know, how do I transfer this skill across the civilian world? I can like reach out, touch base. I'm more than happy to help you. Like I wanna I wanna see more ex military guys in the civil construction industry. Like renewable energy even. Let's 
Yeah. Let's do it. Exactly. And just for the younger listeners out there, I know I've got a lot of cadet listeners and younger listeners. There's a couple of kids in school, actually. They love it. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> yeah, cool. And Zemay, so, would you recommend uh, the Defence Force? The tough question. The Army that I know, yes, 100%. It, is, it was the greatest time of my life. Had the best times, the worst times, but I'll tell you what, I met some of the greatest men, still mates with now, lived some of the greatest experiences. Like I've lived three lifetimes in one, and it's all because of that time frame in the Army. You know, I got to learn off Hugo, and he's helped me become the man I am today from that. And if someone coming out of school wants that again, you'll never get a brotherhood like it. You'll never, ever. The bond you make in the military, you'll have for life. So... Um, I think the, the military is going through a tough time this stage, but I think it'll it'll swing around and I think it'll be worth it, like the experience yeah. that it gives you. Yeah, definitely. And it's obviously because due to the fucking shit leadership, I'll put that out there. And as you know, as you said, mate, your fucking CO is one of those fucking clowns up the top now making these shitty decisions, yep. making yep. it a shit time for everyone. So, yeah. mate, I, you know, my, my I guess my take on that, you know, if there are younger listeners out there who want to join, fucking do it, mate. Best time of my fucking – yeah. Best and worst time of my life. Yeah, exactly right. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, more more good times than bad times. Yep. But you know, take take like you kind of tried to do. But once you get in, take control of your fucking career. It is your life, your fucking career. Yeah. If they don't fucking like it, you know, then yeah, get out. Do do a trade. Like my older brother, he was that smart. He did his time as a sapper, and then he went and did his plumbing trade, and now he runs his own plumbing business on the Gold Coast. Fucking easy. Like. That fucking smart, you know, do a trade, utilize, they'll throw money at you to go and do courses, go and do it, learn a different language, become a sparky, become a chippy, do, yeah, there's so many good things and just use them, you know, yeah, Yeah. use them for everything that you can get out of them. Yeah, exactly, exactly, that's what it's there for and fuck, hopefully there's a, you know, I wouldn't say hopefully, but- Hopefully there's a fucking conflict in the future that maybe you can yeah. get a deployment. And yeah, who knows what's going to happen these days, mate. Who knows? Could be back in Timor <laughs> with Solis. <laughs> oh, oh, Diakali. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your phone's going to call, mate. Uh, yeah. Mate, we need a platoon sergeant uh, oh. for a trip to Timor. Mate, as long as I can take my boys, as long as I can pick the crew that goes, <laughs> it'll be a motley crew. I'll tell Just you what, we'll get the job done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mate, again, really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your story, mate, because it's been absolutely awesome. Uh, thank you for having me. It's um, as I said to you, I was a bit nervous about coming on, uh, talking about myself for a couple of hours. Usually, Huggo's clipped me by now and told me to shut up. But um, <laughs> no, nah, it's been good. So thoroughly enjoyed it. No, thanks, mate. We'll stay in contact too. I'm always in Brizzy, mate. Brizzy's my home. Mighty Brisbane Broncos, mate. So, oh yeah, they're on they're up against the Wilds this weekend, aren't they? Oh, mate, they are. Ooh. I'm a night supporter. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, fuck. I'm in Newcastle. That's where I, that's where I live. Oh, do you? Yeah, I live in you. Yeah, live in you, mate. And fuck nights. Yuck. Fuck. They're all, <laughs> all drug cheats. Oh, up the wilds. <laughs> up the wilds. Now, fuck. Hell. <laughs> Get out of prison, stuff. mate. You can yeah. piss off. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Cheers. All right. Thank you very much, mate. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. As you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. (laughs) However, 
lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags. Literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.